0: Welcome to Season 6 of the Talking Lead AK Corner, presented by Pioneer Arms Corp. USA.
1: All right, AK Heads, welcome back to this month's installment of the Talking Lead AK Corner. This is your February edition, and uh, as promised... We've got a great episode. We're gonna be talking about camouflage today. If you didn't get an opportunity, make sure you go back to last month's episode where we had the the owner of Pioneer Arms Corps Poland on the show. Michael, and we can't say his last name. What's it? say it, CJ? You say it better than, than it's you like might.
2: it's it's
3: my
1: Mike castlich. Um not making fun of your name, Mike. We're just it's hard for us to say. Um, and we talked the history of Pioneer Arms Corps. So we got a, a great deep history of Pioneer Arms Corps. Um, on that episode, we also talked about some of Michael's family history. And uh, that was very interesting. Uh talking about his great-grandfather in World War II and uh the, the the unit that he led. I'm not gonna say it because that's gonna be part of Something that we've got coming up. So don't say the name of that unit, CJ, on this episode. They're going to have to learn about that later on 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 this episode. So true to form, we posted a uh, post your questions on Instagram. So for all you that have asked questions, you're going to be eligible for this week's or this month's giveaways. And we've got some awesome giveaways. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest. And joining me from, from last month to this month, we've got the vice president of Pioneer Arms Corps, C.J. Johnson. And are you also Poland vice president as well as Pioneer Arms Corps USA? Right. Okay. So make sure I get all that right. The dichotomy of the yeah,
3: not Yeah, I don't need the hierarchy or anything else. I'm just a guy that makes sure your rifle's right.
1: Just C.J bringing you all the goodness from from Poland. He's the reason why we have these awesome firearms from Poland, from Rodham, Poland. Also joining us is my co-host, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the bearded bear from what part of Russia are you from?
4: St. Petersburg.
1: St. Petersburg. Ladies and gentlemen, Marco Vorb. Welcome in, Marco. And what is that? Z, a Z, like Zoro the gay blade?
4: No, like for World War Z. Yeah,
3: like like on the like on the tanks driving in Ukraine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: nice. Nothing
4: escapes. Nothing escapes CJ. He's. You got to be careful what you say around him.
1: He's a steel trap. I'm telling you, a mackerel couldn't get out of that. All right, also joining us this episode for our special camo uh, edition of the AK Corner, we have Hank, and Hank is with Fire Force Ventures. They are a a company out of Texas that specializes in uh, certain country camos, Rhodesian being one of the the main camos that they they focus on. Uh, Hank is also a historian himself, just like Marco, military historian and uh hank welcome in the show tell us a little bit more about yourself
2: oh thanks for having me lefty and well pleasure meeting you guys um i'm hank as uh lefty said i'm the owner of canada camo based in not so beautiful right now but alberta canada uh we're it's it's all snowy outside so i normally say it's beautiful it typically is but it's kind of shitty outside right now but for sure uh, I, I also lent a hand, as you mentioned, in running Fire Force Ventures, which is uh, down in Texas. Um, we're known for our authentic reproductions of Rhodesian brushstroke and other rare camel patterns, uh, while Canada Camel is kind of where all the design magic happens, and that, that's all me. Um, our inspirations are the legendary figures of Africa's greatest generation, the professional soldiers, the mercenaries, and adventurers of old. The uh, Fire Force Ventures community is, is a really tight knit one of enthusiasts, living history aficionados, and we're all very deeply passionate about what we do. Um, personally, I've delved into military history, in particular in terms of camouflage, both uh, for you know academically and professionally, um, all in pursuit of creating top notch products. And uh, when I'm not immersed in that world, you'll see me doing living history reenactments or hosting my own podcast, the Men Among Men Stories podcast where we delve into lesser known tales of military history. So thanks again for having me.
1: Very cool. So you do um reen living history reenactments is that military based reenactments that you're doing? And
2: Yeah, I uh right now my big focus is, is on World War 1. So I do World War 1 um Canadian reenactment. So there was a it's pretty well known. I've got I've got like I've got a framed thing of them over there on my wall. Uh but there was a actually really big contingent of Chinese and Japanese Canadians in the Canadian military during the First World War. Uh, uh they were they're pretty hardcore dudes, like known for known for like extreme violence and um some of the Japanese guys and stuff carried katanas into battle, which is totally crazy, you know. But um it's very interesting stories there. So I reenact. Uh, World War One, specifically uh, the 10th Battalion Canadian Expeditionary Force, the the White Gurkhas of the Canadian Expeditionary Force, and uh, the Germans typically surrendered because if they didn't, they they would find themselves bayoneted or clubbed to death um, on the Western Front. So they're pretty well known unit, uh, the Shock Troops. So I reenact that unit, and I also cool. yeah on a side, as a side thing, I also do the Fourth Indian Division. So I do a Gurkha thing for World War II, Italy campaign.
1: Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, is this something that they video when they do these things? Do people go like on YouTube and and see some of this stuff or what?
2: No, nah, normally it's just like kind of public demonstrations. So there's a few here locally in Alberta, um, yeah. all across southern Alberta. There's just a few events and stuff, and I plan on doing more because I know there's there's bigger uh, reenactment events like Newville in Pennsylvania where it's like thousands of dudes, you know, doing. Doing the whole yeah. thing, nope. so Marco,
1: don't didn't you didn't you do reenactments at some point in time?
4: No, I'm not. I had plenty <laughs> of uh, real acting. You had real acting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So I'm not.
3: I think crazy. I think what I, I, went,
4: I went. one time to Battle of Selma, to see it. You know, they reenacted near Montgomery, uh, one of those uh, you know famous Bradford Forest uh, standoffs where they just left the town for the, uh, the Northern troops to burn. But um that's it. That's as far as I know. The reenacting, uh, my. Okay. I don't know Ackman. why I thought that, but I thought that I, for some reason. I think what
3: he's talking about, Marco, is is when you do your LARP stuff, your live action role play, when you're oh, out like there I'm doing your... right now. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. I often <laughs> at night when everybody's already asleep and the neighbors are not awake, I dress up and and uh, kind of you know hide behind a couch. Sneak around there, the house,
3: convoy, yeah. You got to get sneak quiet so you don't wake the
1: wife up.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah,
3: well, I appreciate everybody
1: taking the time to be on and also with the uh, you know, dressing the camo, your camo there. Uh, looks like Hank's got some Rhodesian stuff on.
2: Uh, I've got, I've got an original too. I've got original like stuff behind me. I got a lot of original stuff behind me, but yeah, there's an original shirt, it's all faded and stuff, and there's mine nice so.
1: and then marco's got on his it's like sailor uniform i don't like, uh, yeah.
4: this is um what they often refer to as a mabuta right Which it was That's developed for the for the uh the hot climate and it was standard issue for us when we were in the stand and um although it's not a camouflage but it lends itself uh nicely to the environment which we found ourselves operating uh especially in the spring summer and fall it's um it bleached over a time it would bleach in the sun and stuff and and blend easily in that what they call a mountains desert type of conditions
1: yeah and then so, i've got on Tell tell them what I'm wearing. It's called
4: KZM.
1: The KZM, I get them confused, and I've got one behind me there.
4: Suit, suit, you know, camouflage suit. It's made out of like a burlap-like material, but softer cotton. Cotton. It's a see-through. We often refer to it as a sniper undersuit, but it was also referred to as cheesecloth. It has a big old hood, so it would fit over the helmet and it's got a veil which would cover your face and uh it's got the long sleeves so they could be rolled over your hands to conceal and the pants are more like a sweatpants yeah there's still uh,
1: that burlap material the ones well
4: it's not a burlap it's like a it's it's comfortable
1: it's soft it's comfortable yeah, uh, it's not too bad. And then and then CJ,
4: well,
5: you know, in the in the
3: times that we're in right now, as far as combo camo and everything goes and people are wearing and everything else, I just wanted to give a word of advice to people out there for a little bit of, uh, I don't know, PSA or whatever you want to do. it. If you see you walking down the street and you have your camo on, there's an issue. Me, I just look like a fat guy, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not a threat. So if I pop out on the road and check something out, I'm not a threat because I don't have the camouflage and the gear on.
1: So your, your camo is urban. Urban camo. But,
3: but I do have my level four plates.
1: Yeah, I think you need a bigger shirt to conceal that plate. Well. It showed through that shirt.
3: It was a big plate. And then I have the best. In the night, world. The best night camouflage that exist. <laughs> and this is and this is IR. It's not infrared.
1: Um uh, IR retarded.
3: Yep, it's IR retarded. So I have this one right here, and this is one of the ones that we used in Desert Storm. Uh it still hadn't been washed or anything, but it's still got it still got where it reduces the light uh whenever you're trying to look through it. Of course, it's still not won't do anything for thermal. But it's definitely against IR and other light sources. It actually blends in um, to the surroundings where you're at, especially in a desert environment. And it's a great camouflage uh, more so than anything else. It's almost the same color when you're looking through it through the green alum. It's mm-hmm. almost the same color as if the nods itself. So the, the cape or the parka, as it's called, is almost completely invisible.
1: Are you getting hot? Is that why you're taking off your plates?
3: That's why I was waiting for Marco to finally get on here so I could <laughs> disrobe.
1: So,
4: so, and, and as we get
1: into the conversation, obviously, yes, we want to talk about the um, more modern types of camouflage and and things that the, the camouflage has to defeat. So the thermal, the IR, um, all the new technology. So.
0: Whiskey River Beef farm to table with a twist. Come along with us on a quest towards achieving self-sufficiency in food production and fostering a robust local food source to promote good health. Stock up with premium Tennessee beef unparalleled in flavor and tenderness. You can be confident that you're receiving beef with no added growth hormones or implants. Always pasture-raised, locally USDA processed and shipped straight to your home. Whiskey River Beef is grass and whiskey mash fed and finished and is at least 14 days dry aged to enhance the tenderness and give you the most robust flavor imaginable. Go to whiskeyriverbeef.com today to order. Visit us on Instagram at Whiskey River Life and on Facebook at Whiskey River Beef LLC. Whiskey River Beef is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade.
6: Um
1: and we we're gonna start specifically around World War II and, and then work our way up to, to modern day uh camo, but camo camouflage has been around since uh creatures started populating the, the world, you know. Uh animals, the the natural camouflage that a lot of the animals have for uh protecting themselves against predators. So a great example of that would be you know, the leopard spots, um, they're the, the hunters, they're not the prey, but for them to be easier to, to sneak up on their prey and get their food and eat. know, yeah, They've got that natural camo, of the leopard spots. Another good example would be the, uh, the chameleon or the octopus to where they can at will seems like kind of just change the color of their skin to blend in with their, their surroundings. So I think, uh, man, as man developed on this, this earth and needed to feed themselves, you know, they, they uh, adapted and kind of saw what was happening and occurring in nature. And they would get things around them like leaves and mud and, you know, try to hide themselves so they could sneak up and get their next meal. So, uh, but that leads us, we're going to skip all the the things leading up to that. Unless anybody wants to talk pre-World War II, type camo and we're talking specifically military camo
2: today as well so right. i i we got to mention experimental core riflemen for sure
4: um pre-world uh, even before that you know we all know about the ghillie suits right in the ghillie suits sni- yeah. modern sniper ghillie suit yep Well that's scouts yeah uh, yeah the scottish uh Love game that. warden used to use those uh also, you gotta kind of walk into the uh, the four S's of basis of camouflage, right? El- concealment, which is the shape, silhouette, shadow, and um, what's the other one? Shape
2: sheen, sheen oh, shine?
4: shine, shine shine. Yep. So that's basically to break up, to break up the uh, the natural expected silhouette of a of a person. And uh, you know, blend in with the environment. Hey Marty, can I can I disrupt the flow real quick?
1: Absolutely.
3: Okay, I'm i got a you know I've got an appointment at the VA, I got to go to. So yeah, I just I just wanted to jump in real quick and and do what Pioneer's prize is um, that we're giving away for that, and so I can present that before we get out of here. Are
1: you good oh, okay. with that? we don't know who the winner is yet. So you just want to tell them what the prize is going to be.
3: I'm going to tell okay. him what the prize is going to be for today. Okay. Yeah, let's and, do that. And we'll let uh, Marco, who uh, <laughs> knows the prize that I'm giving away dear to his heart, and he can select the winner.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
3: So, what I have is PPS 43. You yeah. make a limited edition one of these that is signed uh, and engraved with the Battle of Leningrad. And we're going to be giving one of these away today. Unlike uh, you know an accessory kit or something else, we're just going to go ahead and do a PPS forty three. So that's what, that's what we're giving away today.
5: Holy shit,
3: dude! And it'll have the certificate to go with it, and of course it'll be engraved, and the certificate will be signed as authentic. And we're only we've only made two hundred of these that are engraved with the Leningrad, and we're going to be giving one of these away today. So whoever wins, congratulations. Uh, Go ahead and thank Marco Marco was one that pulled your name out of the hat and uh, nobody better do pull out a design purpose uh, Russian military gun uh, than Marco should do it and and I'm gonna bounce off of here I'll let, I'm you, guys, I'm I'll let you guys get back with it but uh,
1: well if you get done with your appointment in time uh, we probably will still be on so hop back on if you want to and then we'll be we'll be at the modern day. Uh, camo ready to get your take on the all
3: right all right that sounds good well i'll just pause it and let you look at the wall and then uh maybe i can make it back
1: <laughs> all right buddy <laughs> all right Appreciate All
3: right, nice meeting you hank looking forward to doing some stuff with you
1: wow so damn cj you. you gotta warn me on when you do stuff like that
4: Oh yeah, that's the whole point. Where that's, you're, not, you're not getting away. Marty. Your modus operandi should be expect unexpected when you talk to. Uh, I
1: it Susan. is, it is. All right, guys. I'll, t- <laughs> I'll uh,
3: try to make it back. All right. All, Susan,
4: right. I'll,
1: I'll, All right. I'll kick him out. He doesn't know how to close it there. So uh, there you go. I mean, I'm I'm completely shocked on that. So today,
4: well, it, it would be. Can I can I add to what he was saying about engraving it? for Battle of Leningrad. Yeah. So after yeah. a siege of 990 semi days, right, with a million dead from starvation, um, this January, we celebrated 80 years of a break through the blockade of Leningrad. And why is it significant in relation to PPS 43? Is that gun was developed and built in the, in the blockade at Leningrad. And it was designed by this genius um, engineer named uh, Sudayev, who was 28 years old when he created this gun, which immediately, well, arguably is the best sub gun in the World War II. And um, it's amazingly simple the way he outlined it, made with the mostly stamped, uh, um, uh parts but he he also was the winner of first stage of the uh, trials for what we now know as uh, AK rifles right so intermediate cartridge where mm. he's we talked about
1: that on prior episodes
4: yeah correct and it would be if he had debilitating disease and died at the age of 28. but he uh if he didn't die and then he continued further you know to develop that gun it wouldn't be the ak it would be called as hmm he would have won that that uh, competition hands down and as a matter of yeah. fact modern ak or the ak-47 which they the soviets adopted actually had a lot of elements from the sudayev's gun that uh the kalashnikov team kind of borrowed or picked it up because you know because the, the Sudives team hit the wall with passing,
1: so that just doesn't anyway. have the same ring to it as an AK, you know. The AS, AS, yeah. you know, yeah, AK. I mean, it's just, it just well, that's off.
4: because it's been AK for what 70 semi years, right? So it's AK, 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 AK. But if it would have been the ass, yeah.
1: then we would be like, oh, look at that ass. I mean, the ass. <laughs> look at that nice ass. <laughs> so there you go, uh, leadheads. We're giving away a PPS 43 this episode. So uh, all the more reason why uh, you should subscribe and listen to every single episode and participate in every single episode because you just never know what's going to happen here, especially with CJ. It's like, this is like the first year, you know, he, our first episode, he's like, yeah, we're going to give away one every episode. It's <laughs> like, what? So there you go. True to form CJ. Thank you, CJ. Um, and then we got more news to drop toward the end about our third episode, which is where we originally scheduled to give away firearms every third episode, but it looks like we're going to be doing just whenever now. So <laughs> we're going to, we will talk about that later on the episode. So, let's get into the camouflage uh, after we get over CJ's curveball there. Uh, so, you were talking about you started off, and you were talking about uh, Marco the ghillie, the ghillie Yeah, suit. the
4: ghillie suits, uh, named after uh, uh, Scottish game warden uh, wardens who had to sneak up on the uh, on the uh, poachers, uh, obviously poaching the the Her Majesty or His Majesty Forest and stuff yeah and uh you know they would make make those things out of whatever the 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 fabric that they could find mostly probably potato sacks anyway uh cheap and effective and of course that um practice we see now today uh use you use, being used uh, by modern snipers and they build their own suits they put barium in the in the uh, dirt and stuff and all that so the basis uh see I have my own view because you know I taught a sniper school and uh I had I have my own basis of the ca- camouflage of concealment um theory you would say and okay. one of them is uh, I said theory in my Siri of course things that I'm talking to it it is dumbest AI there is it's been proven but anyway, uh what I'm saying is um it doesn't take much to conceal yourself from from the uh animal commonly known as human because we lack a certain things like sense of smell smell uh, the sense of hearing <clears throat> and an eyesight compared to wildlife animals for example. True. Right? Yeah. And uh I often ran um the exercise where I would split the class into two relays, let's say Squad One and Squad Two, and I had Squad One just, you know, turn away somewhere or hide behind whatever obstacle, and the other squad just basically dropped down about twenty feet, in the uh, uh, about twenty-four to thirty-six inch grass, twenty feet away from a path, you know, from a, a passage there, from a, a trail and then I'll bring the the squad one out and I say do you see anyone (laughs) I put them exactly where those guys would be hiding in the grass and uh and they they look around they start looking at the bushes the trees nearby they say no and then I tell them squad two to rise up and they (laughs) within 20 feet you couldn't see anything so and those guys were not really wearing the ghillie suits which I I was going to ask, what were they,
1: what were they wearing? Just the
4: regular, whatever that they, they brought into class. You know, some, yeah. most of most the guys are wearing regular fatigues. Like and were you using like anything. just
1: nat- natural sur- surroundings, like grabbing branches and twigs? And nothing,
4: stuff. nothing. They just dropped in the grass.
1: They just dropped.
4: Yeah, that's it. So what I'm trying to say is that concealment, proper concealment and usage of the environment around you, it doesn't take that much to uh even for someone for uh a soldier who is in the patrol and obviously acutely aware of his surroundings and actually kind of like looking for things that are out of out of ordinary to react to so um and oftentimes I mean when we talk about camouflage is it camouflage 20 feet away or it's a 400 meters away you know it's you know two different things too so, the biggest, uh, uh, that's as far as the theory is concerned. So, there's like, for example, I would have um, one relay. Uh, we usually have them in all line because, you know, it's multiple people, it's not just one person you're training. And they in a the firing line. And I told them to create a screen. And a screen, it would be just a twigs or dry grass that you stick right maybe uh, three or four feet beyond your muzzle. Just in front of it, like four or five little twigs and stuff in front of them, and then I had another relay team at six hundred and fifty yards looking back at at the firing line, and they could not identify where the firing positions were. It's just simple as that. It's just to break up, break up that anticipated shape, and. uh you know silhouettes and so on and so on. And now it takes very little. So now armies had, uh, as you can probably know from history, and Hank probably, if his historian knows that, um, uh, like all these European wars, starting from the Napoleonic wars and then going into the uh, uh, Crimean wars, numerous of them, right, and he had soldiers dressed up. And the like british were always bright red and french were always blue with the red um elements and the russian czar army was always green with the red elements and stuff but you would think that it's not and the white pantaloons you know pants and the white crosses with for, for their you know the bell bells for the web gear that they carried and uh um so it was like this going into 1870 late late 1870s even 1890s and then uh, talk about civil war here a little closer home you know Mm -hmm. where the gray which was probably better than the navy blue against the north and of course towards the end of the war the Confederates were so poorly supplied that they had the brown uniforms they had some blue uniforms that they refashioned, taking it off the prisoners or dead, the northern soldiers. Well, another so, interesting
1: fact about the the Civil War is, as far as camouflage goes, and we're not talking about soldier camouflage here, but it was just uh, to to camouflage their encampments and their their equipment. You know, they brought in kudzu, and that's how we got kudzu uh, <laughs> yeah. down here in the South, all over the place. There
2: should be a mention yeah. of Burdans, uh, sharpshooters in the Civil War. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's experimental corps riflemen 1801, the first real unit to do a quote unquote camouflage, and it's kind of simple stuff. So, blackening buttons, for example, right? Not having shiny buttons. Um, that point. is kind of continued by, and it's just yeah, there's just there's all these like little things like the trimmings are, are on the uniforms are black, for example, um, with the experimental, and they later become the 95th Rifles uh still perpetuated today in the british army by the rifles but berdan sharpshooters in the american civil war which was a union unit um as the name implies it was a sharpshooter unit so guys were pretty good shots in that particular unit they also distinctively wore a, a dark green which again a lot of hell of a lot better than navy blue and uh, arguably better than than confederate gray and uh, that unit uh performed pretty successfully throughout the course of the war from at least yeah. what I understand I'm not a civil war expert but uh Brand Sharpshooters for sure
4: well you 100 percent correct and even um so we were talking about the civil war was in times where militaries all around the world um already adopted the concept of switching to rifle uh mm-hmm. weapons rather than the muskets more distance and- Right, more distance, more accuracy, slower to load, of course, because they use, I mean, not sure about the um, Civil War, because, you know, they start using the minier balls and all that. The
2: percussion caps, yeah.
4: And a uh, uh, little further back to the end of Napoleonic Wars, where the Brits uh, actually fielded the regiments of riflemen who wore green uniforms, also not bright red. And they, um, they start using the rifles, and those rifles uh, were slow to load because you he ha- had a leather patch you had to put around the uh, the the ball so the ball would spin in the rifling, and uh, so you see the elements of uh, early camouflage, so to speak, or concealment rather, uh, was already present present at the uh, at the end of Napoleonic wars through the civil war and then carries into the the Crimean wars. But
1: what like, what you see, what you see, and I want to add to that, Marco, is as you're seeing warfare develop and modernize, you're also seeing the camouflage starting to become more and more important in their tactics.
4: And one of the biggest um steps in the in the somewhat at that time modern military and one of the major militaries in Europe was when the czarist Russia went away from the uh um black and green uniforms to uh, all the way across to khakis
2: likewise with the British at the same time frame during the time of the great game 1880s they, they all start switching to khaki and that's that's a big thing or khaki, key as it's pronounced in the Commonwealth car key
4: right and it's the uh the reason for that is because now the the cartridge uh cartridge type rifles showed up in the battlefield and they became a lot more accurate so those types of weapons could easily in in the distances that were uh a custom for muskets and even uh, early rifles percussion caps and whatnot oh black powder rifles it was uh this distances were uh you know getting longer trying to preserve your personnel because as as the personnel both the enemy and your personnel became more accurate with weapons then you had to spread them uh, further and make the the targets not so o- obvious so you would not see even at the turn of the of a 19th or 20th century you wouldn't see a per the uh, unit dispatched in one line or column per se like a French attack or you know the line uh, uh, two or three deep as the uh, the British would uh, attack or defend so it was became more of what they call a chain um the tactics which it would be a staggered lines two lines that are spread in these checkered pattern staggered so So this way you don't create one simple line for a machine uh, the machine guns the invention of machine guns had a a big um role in developing uh, early concealment and camouflage so I yeah. think there was
2: a question in the one of the Instagram comments um, prior to the show about, like, why weren't these camouflages introduced earlier, right? Because it seems kind of like there's no straight lines in nature and there's no, like, bright red jackets in nature either. So obviously, like, why, why did this development happen in the 1800s as opposed to the 1700s or 1600s, right? Um, and I think the big reason for that is command and control. So
4: Correct. you 100% like, correct
2: historically soldiers were illiterate like farm boys regardless of where this is a generalization obviously but generally whether they're in tsarist russia or georgian england they were illiterate farm boys who conscripts, needed to be, yeah, conscripts yeah conscripts or, or um oh I'm, oh I'm not going i don't know if I'm
1: what'd you do marco
5: <laughs>
1: check no, check i Are
4: just check, i check. thought oh, it, okay, if, okay if this mic didn't work why do i have it so i, I tried to okay. unplug it and that's what yeah it's I, got the I echo it. oh
2: it's got the echo all good so um anyways so like you want to keep things as simple as possible training these soldiers uh the only requirement is obviously you have like two back teeth that can you know rip the cartridge um off rip rip the uh the packs off the you know little like self-contained paper cartridges basically right like it's very very simplistic uh, but as you get, like, with, you know, more things happening Industrial Revolution and, like, standardized schooling and stuff, more and more people are literate. Uh, you have soldiers that are actually able to competently exercise command and control. Your NCOs are not just, you know, historically in the 1700s, even during the American Revolution, the guy holding a pike, who his whole job was to not use the pike in combat, but to, you know, keep his soldiers in line, right? Um, that becomes an NCO that has actually... Uh, independently thinking, able to act, you know, in a you know, s- section or squad level, about seven or eight guys, and then, and then a platoon level, um, and then a company level, right? So, these so rather than operating as just a company of illiterate farm boys, it's it gets more and more complex, and as a result, um, camouflage can be applied, uh, because you don't need to. Fine. Okay, our guys are the red coats. Let's 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 make sure they're all, all the red coats are together. And you see another red coat, he's somebody.
1: skins, kind of deal. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Whereas by the time of the first World War, the Second World War, everyone's wearing pretty drab colors, with exception to to the French uh, and the, the French duabs and stuff in the early part of the war. But by the end of the war, everyone's kind of moving towards some sort of a drab in the German field grau, um the the British khaki, obviously uh the russians that throughout the course of the first world war were were in khaki as well and uh it was just the french that were the last holdouts because they're french you know doing blue but um command and control is a huge factor why like it made more sense historically um even though you know you talked about leopard spots all the way back in caveman days like it made sense to have camo um why it wasn't adopted at a military level. And it was a big part of that was, was command and control.
1: Well, I think, I think another big part was, you know, there wasn't really a need because again, you know, in, in early, early battles, you know, the, the weaponry was was more short range and everybody yep. had to be a lot closer. So, I mean, there really was no need for, for camo, but as you see the development of the rifle um, and the distance of the battle start, pulling each other apart and getting further and further, you know, that kind of goes to my point as, as the, as military and, and battle has progressed through the years. So has the camo and the need for the camo, uh, to, to be able to, to hide and conceal not only your personnel, but you know, your equipment and your vehicles and, and everything. So, uh, you know, I think the development of the rifle and the range and the accuracy of that, also you'll see in history as that's increasing and improving. So are um, people's camouflage techniques. I would say, yeah, that's definitely. just that's just my opinion on things that I've read. Uh, I'm not a historian. You guys are historians, so you know a, a lot more. And I and I like the point that you brought up there about the control and command too. That that was a good aspect of it.
2: Definitely. Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one. Like why. Why you would feel particularly brave um, in a massed formation going up, you know, oftentimes like a 50 yard engagement distance, being able to see the, you know, the whites of the eyes of the enemy kind of deal, right? Like you think about like Bunker Hill, right? Like those engagements with militiamen, American militiamen, British, you know, regulars facing each other, like at a 50 yard engagement distance. Um, It's because you knew there was like a mass of like friendly guys around you, right? Um, and it was like it was like a morale thing, right? You would see your colors, the you know the Betsy Ross, or well, I don't know if they had the Betsy Ross at Bunker Hill. It's a little early, but like just some sort of you know local, uh like a "Don't Tread on Me" flag, right? The Gadsden, yeah. the early Gadsden, like seeing that, which is not camouflage, like colors are not, you know, colors are like rally around the, so the colors, kind the of thing.
1: Dolly like, Roger, you know, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, you're you're it's, kind of it's, thing. exactly. It's not, it's meant to be flamboyant and visible right and you're and likewise the men's uniforms were meant to be flamboyant and visible uh for command and control right uh, the only way you're going to get these guys to fight is to have some some semblance of um morale so i see a pakul now a very nice That's piece of picture. kit everyone there so is marco back marco is back he is wearing a uh, afghan pakul very nice i was
1: just i was bringing up some civil war battle formations just to kind of bring home the point that you were you were talking about there Uh, i'm not really getting any good pictures here but
0: the multi-mount is a simple yet flexible platform that allows you to conveniently mount your everyday items wherever you may need them a rugged 1.5 inch belt locks into the mount allowing the attachment of any item that uses a clip or belt loop with the quick release tab you can easily swap out essential gear as needed Ideal for mounting comms, tourniquets, lights, firearms, and more. The options are almost limitless. The platform comes with two backer options, either 3 m adhesive or cup backing, giving you adaptability and endless options on where you can mount your needed items. Access your essential equipment in your preferred configuration. Carry what you need, where you need, with our multi-mount platform. Available now.
2: For your exclusive Talking Lead Listener Discount, Use the code LEDHEAD for twenty percent off at checkout.
1: Let's see what Marco's wearing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's got his his chef boyardy hat on. <laughs> what What are you wearing now? Marco has done a, a costume change.
4: Okay, so uh, this is um, an early version of uh, K- KLMK. Well, really, it's not. Uh, it's called the uh, Birch pattern. It was a separate. uh, a, uh, outfit with the pants and the jacket. And it came with... Um, Cut,
1: tilt your camera down just a little bit if you can. Can you tilt your camera down a little bit?
4: Not really. Otherwise, I'll break everything. Okay, but I'm don't just going to bring it. it up. So it don't came with it. the hood. hood <laughs> and, for your viewing pleasure, it came with the mask.
1: Oh, look at there. It's like you're going to the ball.
4: But... Uh, um on the top of a few things to notice it was popular because it was very light in the summer uh it was um you know
1: cooler it's to wear rather than the
4: regular uniforms yeah and um the pukol hand and this scarf right here is a part of um that's been used by the soviet soldiers you know talk about the using simplistic things to conceal themselves
1: Hold that up. We'll see the scarf as you're talking
5: about it.
4: <laughs> okay. Typical Afghan scar and there's a Pakul hat. That's a typical push to and Tajik. Um, headdress. But it, it's been. Yeah, there you go. See, you got to Yeah,
2: yeah I got to go. I got a rep too. the Pakul. Pakul really comfy. It's a, it's and a warm,
4: especially food. in yep. Canada. Right? Yes. So they use this to uh, conceal themselves. So dress them as a Mujahideen and uh, use the captured trucks, you know, pickup trucks, the Toyotas and Seamurg and whatnot. And uh, in the desert is area like around uh, Hillman provi- province, you know, with the Lashkar Gak and up to Shindant area, there are basically no hills or mountains. It's a desert. So in order for them to Patrol the area, or or interject the car vans and convoys and stuff. They had to, uh, what we call to play a masquerade, where they dressed up as mujahideen, and in fact, there uh, when they would be traveling, there'd be um, mujahideen like observation post would come out and wave at them and then tell them, don't go that way. Shuravi is that way. You know they called Soviet shuravi. Don't go that way. <laughs> you know that kind of stuff but uh, that's why i put it on but um, this particular uniform was issued with uh, um, mainly to uh, border guard units and they even had the berets
1: look at there the matching berets too now do you have a collection of camouflage like you do knives yes i do you don't consider yourself a collector but you you do you collect i do
4: yes well (laughs) i I started collecting because I wanted to collect everything I was issued when I was in service. Sort of like this nostalgic thing. It kind of hit me hard when my first son was born. And like saying, um, you know, it's been such a big part of my life and yet uh, my kids might not know about it. So I started collecting and sort of like the stuff that I was issued. Okay. And uh, I think my collection is now expanded. But... Uh, so, few things to see about this. Do you see this thingies?
1: Let right. me let me focus in on you there. Okay, show us what you're showing. Yeah, the little flaps on the shoulder.
4: Right, and they also are on the hood as well. It, uh, okay. let's
1: your light sucks. Uh, hold it on the yeah,
4: other yeah,
1: side. Yeah, yeah, right here. Hold it other uh, side of your body. Yeah, your light's better right there. Yeah. Mm.
4: Okay. And this thing's actually a little tubing where you stick your um um you know the tweaks from around where you are constructed what's that
1: no no i'm 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 following i'm tracking now what you're saying i I said that's where you put your (laughs) pin
4: yeah right no that's where you put um let's see if i can kind of demonstrate so
1: they're, they're slots that are built into the clothing so you can add the, you, the natural you put the
4: grass, the blades of grass. You can put the, the natural
1: uh, surroundings on you.
4: Exactly. And kind of concealed around the area of your, you know, your noggin. So it doesn't stick out. Right. And, uh, that's an earlier version of, uh, of a camel following the KZM outfit that you wear. But anyway, back to a uh, history
1: back to history and before we get to history i want to i want to kind of go over this too because as as the camouflage is developing i mean we're getting different patterns and different styles and uh, you know they're being grouped into families you know finger i use the finger quotes and the different families that we have of camouflages we have brush stroke we have chocolate chip we have digital patterns we have dpm disruptive pattern material, duck hunter. You got the, the fleck, uh, is it fleck turn, fleck tarn? It's the German one. Uh, you got leaf, you got lizard, you got puzzle, you got rain splinter tiger stripe and woodland are, are the different pattern families that we're seeing here. And then within those families, you've got, you know, it branches out from there. Um, but I just kind of want to throw that out there to give our listeners a, a little something to think about as we're talking about these these patterns as, as they develop. So go ahead, Marco.
4: Oh, Marty, I'm, I uh, amongst those terms that you just... Um, um, the families? Families, that yeah, but you threw the terms in there, such as woodland, for example. Mm-hmm. Woodland is actually uh, officially adopted... Um, description of a, a particular uh, full-color pattern. Everything else is like uh, the puzzle and all that stuff. It's all modern terms uh, that have been in the last 20 years assigned yeah. to different camo patterns mm-hmm. to descri- describe what they are. Right. The term
1: woodland is generally applied to the US M81 woodland camouflage pattern introduced in 1981, which itself was derived from the M1948 Ertl pattern. And all of its derivatives, U.S. woodland camouflage design retained the same colorway as a second generation Ertl design yeah, with 60, to that. 60% enlargement of the original drawings. The M81 woodland pattern has been one of the most duplicated and modified camouflage patterns ever designed, seen service with military forces around the world, continuing to be worn today. So, when they say families, like you know, this is kind of a the starting point of several other well, he, um, cameras here, that came that derived from it is, is right I guess.
4: here's a good example by the way i don't know if uh, <clears throat> let's see if my camera can pick this up so both of these are oh, wrong way both of these are woodland camo right this is more like a this one is more of a u.s pattern that's a four color mm-hmm. pattern and this is early Soviet uh, early Russian. I'm sorry. In 1990s, three color wooden woodland. Yeah, that's yeah. what Dubok. you're talking about. The pat, uh, the the family and uh, the family of got... patterns.
2: Is that VSR Dubok
4: Dubok, yeah,
2: Dubok. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I have, if I mispronounce means, it, I Mrs. apologize.
4: No, it's all right. Dubok is uh, dub is oak in uh, yeah. in Russian. So this guy is easy to remember dub oak. Dubok Dubok. yeah Dubok but Dubok means a smaller oak okay Russian Dubok so anyway moving on to uh like World War one and uh you know because this is when the sniping start to develop and simply because of the stalemates across the lines with the trenches and stuff and and barbed wire no man's land and nobody has an uh, uh, if they have a parity in machine guns, then they have no advantages. So it's basically a stalemate across uh, a several hundred meter no man's land, and that's when the sniping becomes uh, more of a of a, a sort of like a tactics and a weapon in demand. On mm-hmm. you know in the so with that to cross across the and it's constantly you know the optics are developing so sort of giant binoculars they're looking across the no man's land so to to across those vast um, areas of flat land you're going to have to have something and the early types of uh, camouflage starting to develop by all sides and i i would say you know, allies as far as like, you know, England and France and stuff, not Russia so much, and, uh, and the Germans as well. Yeah. And uh, so uh, also that uh, reappearance of the ghillie suits, the first original ghillie suits started to pop up in the front lines as well, trying to conceal the shape and uh, um silhouettes so lefty break them up
2: lefty i don't know if you could pull it up but on marco's note with the world war one snipers there's a really interesting piece at the imperial war museum imw and it's literally a burberry jacket i kid you not it's a burberry trench coat that's been cammed up by a sniper and there's a veil um that goes along with it if you just look up like world war one sniper suit it's like a trench coat and it's like painted i don't know if you can pull that up um But that that's a really because a lot of them are like ditched after the war. So we don't have there's a lot of photographic evidence of some of these the original ghillie suits and stuff being used. But we don't. There's very few physical examples. And that's one of the few. It's in in London in the Imperial War Museum. I don't know if you see it. Uh, And it looks really. I wonder if you can. Oh, yeah. There it is on the far left. Second row or actually second one. Right. This one. Yeah. yeah, Click that guy. That guy. That guy's not. That's it. And it's literally just like a Burberry trench coat that in a pinch, you know, because it wasn't standardized, right. This wasn't something that, um, and I think there's another picture of it above it too. Uh, but basically you can see, yeah, there it is as well. It, it's, uh, there's some probably better pictures of it, but you know, people can look this up. It's literally a Burberry trench coat, a very makeshift canvas hood, uh, but basically, it's just it's just this canvas that's all been painted up, um, just paint splatters. Canvas
1: with a, a Halloween eyes and mouth. Yeah, Halloween like eyes. Yeah, a, like you're doing a Casper the Ghost kind of. Yeah,
2: there you go, Casper the Ghost. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, and uh, there we go. That's that's the best way to describe it. Um, but the jacket there is is just a Burberry trench jacket. Right. Okay. Uh, I
1: would zoom in uh, on it. It go. It opens another screen and then share yeah. it on yours. Um, so. Yeah. But but, yeah, yeah um, you guys can, can Google that.
2: Yeah, just Imperial War Museum. It's a very interesting piece. Uh, but that's, you know, it's very makeshift. You'll see it's, you know, these first Ghillie suits and stuff, the few examples that exist are, <laughs> that's an there's interesting an ex- one.
1: Experimental, I mean, you talk about they're trying to break up the line. So the yeah, the yeah. That I yeah. pulled up is an experimental one. It's just this guy's got a, is it looks like printed? a white suit, and they've just yeah. printed some, there's your Z, Marco. He's got a big Z on his chest.
2: Yeah, he does. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, artis- articles of clothing and whatever paint you can kind of splatter on in weird ways um, initially. And then you see in the Second World War, it's a lot more developed. So uh, there's a pretty famous one. I think those are Canadian snipers. If you go up slightly uh, on the. Uh, just go up, go up, go up, go up. There's the two guys and they're looking at each other smiling. If you go up, 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 up. up. I saw them. There they are. There they are. Those guys yeah. on the right. Those guys are Canadians. Uh, I forgot from which specific regiment, but those are two Canadian snipers during the Second World War. Um, and uh, eh? yes, from from what I understand that they're they're Canadians It's from some uh, big propaganda series they showed of the sniper training happening in England. A pair uh, of
1: military snipers yeah, display the concealment effects of ghillie suits in the field. It doesn't say I believe it is
2: 48th Highlanders. But, uh, yeah, there's another photo there.
1: The word "gilly," as Marco was pointing out earlier, is Gaelic Scottish, translating to lad or boy, and refers to an outdoor helper to the gamekeeper. The more fantastical yes. origin story involves the wild Scottish ghillie de, a spirit dressed in a coat of leaves that hid in trees to avoid capture. So there so you go.
4: Here's an example of World War II kind of ghillie suit. I cannot... It's definitely not Russian. However, the person who's uh, in that ghillie suit in his hands, he's got a SVT 40 Russian rifle.
1: Okay. A Soviet
4: rifle. Cool.
1: Let me ask you this because I don't know what your side of the screen looks like. Is there a present button? Do you have like where you can share your screen?
4: No, we don't.
2: I
1: you don't. don't have that on your yeah. side?
4: I ha- I have a present button but I'm uh, of oh, off a different device. Actually no, I do have a pre- I have a present button.
1: Okay. Hit, you can share group, your screen if you do that if you hit
4: Here's that. a group uh, Ru- of Russian snipers. Um and it's the different type of uniforms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a bunch of kids there. But those are real rifles that they've got. They probably did put them in battle, didn't they? Oh.
5: Uh.
1: But anyway. Conscripts, the conscripts um so I, i've completely lost where we were um, all right well,
4: so we were talking about we're kind of like doing the in world war ii now right world war Two, yes yeah let's move into world war ii so okay uh the two comments that i'll make one for um from the russian side and the other one is for the um the German side and Germans had more variety of you know, camouflage some camouflage would um for their uh, Luftwaffe uh paratroopers and stuff and some of them for um actually designated to the uh the SS or home defense troops right mm-hmm. and uh, the the one that you were talking about Fleck type of uh family Fleck? like turning- were was worn not necessarily well. They were the outfits or coveralls that you would put over a soldier, but there were also elements of uh, gear, or loadout that you carry with you, that would have those patterns. And I just happened to have uh, actually a, a butt pack that was taken by one of the USGI's of a dead and decomposing um ss trooper
1: Uh, a a non-performing trooper
4: yeah um there's few spots of uh, bodily fluids and stuff and do
1: you um, have it right you've got it to show right now or you've got it somewhere in your collection uh, you don't have to go get it i just thought you had it you were going to hold it up that's cool yeah it,
4: it was i got it with the uh one of the auctions i got like a duffel bag full of all kinds of holsters and things like that and um and one of the items was one of those um camels. um
1: and there's the fleck tarn it's fleck tarn
4: okay so on the soviet side there was one that was issued to the uh, to the uh reconnaissance troops as well as um um snipers and stuff and it was um pants on the jacket the jacket is oversized to give an appear to break up the the silhouette and and shape and uh it was what I referred to as amoeba design it's Mm -hmm. basically um more of a um like a regular khaki tarp similar to this color right here that i'm wearing and and the uh a maroon or brown splatters on it that look like a amoeba you know if you know what the amoeba looks like right and um i mean you can probably uh bring it up on uh on your screen that yeah just a, like looking. it would be
2: called like amoeba cape amoeba cape or something yeah but they were not the cape like, they were actually yeah it was a, it was a full-on suit yeah it was a full-on yeah. like suit yeah
4: right it's and again we also had an area yeah, that's there it. you go that's it yeah the one on the left is the proper one not one one on the right was not the uh the case this is more modern reproduction i bet but the uh, one on the left is the one and then uh so uh it was it was somewhat effective anything green because you know you don't have the desert type of areas where you fought the Germans in, in the Eastern Front. It was uh always either wooded area or a green type of prairie with a lot of green grass and stuff. So um that was the uh, this is more of a probably later reproduction rather than original.
1: I was seeing if it told me it doesn't tell me
4: um yeah it's it just I don't know if that, if that works because if it was used in in uh, in the combat it, that green would have already been close to white you know because you got to wash it all the time you got you in the sun and snow whatever in not snow per se but in the dirt oh you see more, that okay, there you there go this, there is, you uh, this is that's
2: that's 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 show that what Marco was saying it's oversized so there's no there's no silhouette of a person right it like cuz it's so big
4: and um, then you got you yeah. got the hood which is actually not from around your collar but from your shoulders and yeah. that baffle right there in front is also oversight so you could um you know basically once you in the right you know behind the rifle you can even misshape yourself so to speak even more
1: yeah makes sense yeah. and that's all the little mesh thing um yeah the...
4: and it's a screen yep. yeah cool yeah so um that's pretty much it i was just gonna i found an interesting picture i was gonna show you how the landlady stuff worked
1: so what are we looking at um you're holding up a sherman looks like a plow. Being <laughs> used
2: as a tractor. yeah yeah just a sherman being used as a plow
4: but they they, they sold value in the cannons so they removed the turrets and put them yeah. up along the defensive lines as uh as additional artillery pieces okay but the tanks themselves were widely used as tanks and also as tractors.
1: As tractors, multipurpose, making the most of what they have.
4: And in 2003, Russia paid every last penny of that land lease, actually.
1: They did what now?
4: They repaid the land lease. In 2003, they covered it. Wow. 100%. Took a little you know, whatever bit U.S. Like supplied did. during World War II, it mm-hmm. wasn't just a, because of the goodness of our heart. It was, you know, you pay us when you can type of deal. Yeah. But anyway, moving on.
1: Move on, yeah.
4: So if you bring uh, that page again. Uh, Which one? The one that we had the amoeba on, the pictures of the amoeba, and then there were two other pictures Okay. Uh, below it.
1: Gotcha. I'm bringing that up. So this website I'm on is Camopedia. Leadheads, I'm uh, Camopedia, and they've got a list of all the countries, the different families.
2: Yeah, Camopedia is like the best source out there. Right there.
4: That's very good. Right there. Right there. Okay. So So, now we're um, into. In this case, in this case, the one on the right is the correct pattern. One on the left is probably reproduction. So this is following the World War II. uh, pattern, once they start issuing to reconnaissance troops and scouts, they start issuing this a uh, one-piece overalls that you would put over um, over your uniform and, uh, and then put your belt over it and whatever the loadout is over there. And that was the first pattern that was issued. And the problem was they didn't have enough green in it to uh, be... Um, let's say and uh it worked perfectly fine in a sunny bright day but in um a more overcast and cloudy day it was too bright so it stood out a little more Hence, Is is the
1: mkk is that, what, is that what we're looking at here the mkk
4: yeah and then um, it's mean, it's known as
1: the summer camouflage so yeah
4: yeah there you go well so then we um so it wasn't the world war ii uh a camouflage it was following the world war ii in so the 50s and so and then yeah, uh, the russians being pragmatic as they are they start looking into it and uh hence the first digital pattern appeared which is this uh, yeah they played with that but that that wasn't it it's too too busy again yeah. so it's this right here and there were variations of it what you wearing is one of them which they came in two different basic colors one was like a almost mustard yellow base with the yellow pattern and then yours is more of like a dark green with the yellow pattern Hold that hat stu- up. oh and the-
1: <clears throat> so marco your light's coming in from your left so if you kind of tilt it a little bit the light will hit that and you can see it better it well like, it's the
4: same what i'm wearing if you can see the one i'm wearing
1: okay so that's that's the one okay
4: it's the same same thing part of the same outfit.
1: just a little pro tip next time you hold something up just kind of tilt it a little to bit my so,
4: so let's say let's try it which way yeah. this way
1: it, just kind of like angle with your hands the, the yeah oh, so you, I so see. you I see what reflect you the light yeah 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 there you go okay Perfect.
4: So anyway, the first widely issued, uh, um, I guess, uniform was what you're wearing. It's called KZM, right? The outfit. KZM. Okay. Mhm. And two, you yeah, know, it's two piece. It, it was highly popular in uh, in Afghanistan, especially during the summer, because it's, you know, it's Kind Green like colors, breathe. Yeah, yeah, you can breathe. We call the nickname "cheesecloth." You know, and uh oftentimes whole, it a
1: little bit, so you can, yeah, doesn't the hold the hood,
4: heat in. The hood is like bulky, and nobody really in my unit wore helmets, so usually yeah. you just cut it off. And what you make out of it is, you make the helmet cover. I mean, okay. Using, yeah. uh, thread and needle to sew in on the your elastic helmet. around it and uh, and fit it over a helmet yeah right again that's the same concealment you got the same veil what i would do is yep. i put that veil on and then i rest it on the top of my pso scope
1: right now marco did the... were all the troops issued this camo or just certain Ooh. units
4: no only scouts and of course the special forces pets nice, so we okay. have this stuff. Gotcha. And,
1: so uh, this is it's, the... It's beloved. What, and what was this called again? KZM. The KZM, okay.
2: So an, an interesting ask there, Lefty. Like, as, as Marco said, only specific units were issued camo. That was the case in the First World War. It was obviously only, like, scouts and snipers that were issued, ghillie suits and stuff. It wasn't every single soldier. Now, every soldier had maybe khaki... But not uh, full-on ghillie suit or camouflage, and that was the case certainly in the U.S. as well, right? And even even with the Germans in the Second World War, um, not everybody, unless you are in a Fallschirmager unit or you're in a like a specific Luftwaffe unit, a specific SS unit, uh, you weren't issued P dot, you weren't issued uh, Splinter Turn or Sump Turn. Um, all these, you know, iconic German World War II camos uh, were not issued. Most guys were in field grow, you know, gray right? German gray. Um, and that was a case in the U S too, with, uh, certain units like the, the Marine Raiders and stuff. And I know on D day, some of the, uh, the, the 101st airborne 82nd airborne pathfinders actually painted kind of like a dark green, black, like hand hand paint over their, um, jump smocks. Uh, the British had denizen smocks began only for airborne troops. But most guys were wearing just, you know, American GIs were wearing OD later in the war after D-Day and prior to that uh, khaki, right? And with the, um, I think it was the, the 40, 40 pattern jacket, that, the zip-up jacket that they had prior to the uh, M1943. I think it was called the, the 41 jacket. But uh, one I'll see if I can pull up one thing here, okay. uh, which is from the American side. I don't know. I hope this works. Uh, do you see that?
1: i can add it hold on
2: okay one second there, there we go. go so there's there's uh some american marines wearing their raiders so kind of an elite commando style unit right mm-hmm. very heavily inspired by the british commandos who had been formed earlier in the war uh, i think this is 1943 i think bougainville it's a pretty well-known photo of uh marines wearing the iconic frog skin camo so which later developed into uh, duck hunter as you mentioned as, as one of the family groups right yeah. so it's issued uh one second, I'll see if i can pull up the other slide here um of where are we there we go frog skin so this is just this is just stuff like wikipedia so not the best i have an original somewhere in the back but i don't think i'm going to be able to pull it out but uh, there we go. Just frog skin. That's what it looks like. That's what the coloration oh. looked like. That's uh, um, dim- a, a lot more.
1: If any of our listeners uh, are old like me, and you had the old um, the the big GI Joes, the the big yeah. tall GI Joes, yep. that's the camo that they had for those those GI Joes. Yeah, figures.
2: basically, that's it. That's that's like, the uh, GI Joe earth. camo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So.
4: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm
2: so there's uh, there's just one more i got to show because it's kind of interesting, this one. And I think there's a pretty well-known photo of a guy in the 2nd Armored Division um, wearing that camo actually in uh, the European Theater of Operations. Uh, but the issue with, like, why a lot of guys ended up not wearing this or ditching them, even though they were issued them uh, for if they're in the specific units, is it looked really really similar to the german uh p dot pattern so which mm-hmm. was issued to the ss so obviously really confused, yeah you but... see a guy at distance and he's just wearing this camo and everybody else is an od or khaki uh and you're it's it's a second world war and the fronts are the fronts are you know right in front of you everybody in front of you is the enemy right so um it, you're liable to get shot for sure if you're wearing that pattern so these were ditched in large part uh to at least by the guys that were actually issued them the European theater of operations. But in the Pacific, obviously uh, the Japanese were all wearing khaki, right. Or, or some kind of off white.
5: Yeah.
2: So uh, as a result, it saw a lot more use there. Um, but still during this period, it was all, you know, specialist units. In this case, this guy was a tanker. Uh, that's why he got issued it. And it was always specialist units. And it's large part because, Unlike the Germans, who had a actually very very advanced textile production like tradition and industry, um, the American one was really 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 far behind uh, as far as like being able to actually do I guess like this, the the water based production of the dyes and stenciling. Um, mm-hmm. It was just not very cost effective to do camo, and I would imagine it was the same in the Soviet Union. I don't know how much like how far advanced their uh, textile productions like capabilities were um but uh you know case in point in the US uh, i think it was university of north carolina put out a pretty good article like peer reviewed article about all this but there were like for print like pressing like a die onto fabric there were machines from 1906 that were still used into the 1970s this technology technology
4: didn't change much it's still the same thing (laughs) it was still
2: yeah it was still the same thing and it wasn't until kind of like the 70s uh where the text just really started to change because the labor forces started to change so obviously people didn't want to pay a huge body at least in the u.s i don't again i don't i can't really speak outside the u.s but in the u.s the inclination was we have all these like manual laborers that we're currently paying but they're slowly getting unionized and how do we cut costs well we just got to make the machines better because we haven't had any need to update them since like prior to world war one since right after the civil war so um as a result that's why we we start jumping into the m81s right The, the us woodland where every single soldier was issued that camouflage and it was it was a kind of a long process and a lot of a lot of the reason why um it wasn't issued earlier was because of just tech right there's no need to innovate
4: just a few things to add to the U.S right so um um though um there might have been difficulties and everything but you got to give them a credit uh where credit is due because 100 so- percent of soldiers who fought um in the Pacific had the camel covers for the helmets yes which the first thing that sticks out of the trench or around is your helmet and uh if you talk about rangers and some uh uh, airborne units they had the camel net netting on the helmets a to break up the sheen and shine but b it could be used that you can put the uh, the grass or leaf or something in that, in that netting to uh, break up the silhouette and the helmet. So those two things the U.S. did well, N- not, let's say, issuing the 100% of force, uh, with the force uh, with the camel uniforms, but at least the helmets were. This is another interesting picture.
1: So we've got a female unit here.
4: All snipers.
1: All snipers, and they, they don't really have camel, but they've got, like, they've All got the Anita.
4: yeah they, they got, they got amoeba the amoeba. amoeba
1: i gotta put my glasses
4: yeah. yeah those are they've got amoebas on
1: okay yeah i see it now Hold and it then
4: another, another while we're doing show and tell so the main address of uh was i was thought you Soldier were showing us was... your
1: arctic camo when you pulled your hat off there <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that happened <laughs> to me naturally So you have this garrison cap right here, known as a pilot's cap, uh, Pilotka, right? And it has, you know, if you use it properly, it has these flaps on both sides. See that? It's
1: reaching up to the top. And and it was supposed to
4: be to go over your ears and stuff when it's it's, um, uh, cold and stuff, but in reality, you know. It doesn't
1: even get close to your ears.
4: No, no, (laughs) if you unfold it, it does. If you unfold oh, okay. it. I thought like what a... you did was
1: you unfolded it. Oh, so
4: okay. they used a lot of soldiers. The scouts used these two fluffs, but for stuffing uh, grass and stuff in here, you know, and twigs to break up the silhouette as well.
1: That's where I'd put my Snickers. <laughs> That's
4: where you carry your uh, thread and needle. And God forbid, if you don't have it, you pull the cape e. Kitchen duty.
1: Your thread and needle?
4: Yeah, thread and needle.
1: Two of the, them. Standard issue.
4: The white and the green.
1: We gotta work on your lighting. I've told you that before.
4: On my what? The lighting? Your
1: lighting. I ha-
4: yes. I have a studio light.
1: You need one of those? I'm like,
4: because we do it once a once a month. I don't want to set it up.
1: You need one of those streaming.
4: Like I'll like a you. circle?
1: I'm gonna make a note here to send you one of those, yeah. All
4: right. Anyway um so after the war and learning the lessons from the war and again uh the i guess the approach of uh soviets to camouflage was in line with what i was saying before it's minimalistic right and uh you know like why would anyone in the right mind use orange bakelite for their magazines and their guns and why would they use this bright, almost orange, brown furniture for their AK rifles. And uh, the simple answer to that is all the colors other than black, right, occur naturally in nature. In nature yeah. Which orange included, brown included, light brown included. Black usually stands out because. There's no natural black in, in in nature. No
1: natural black, but you have black in the um what is that called the dead areas? The the negative spaces, the negative spaces you have. Oh
4: now you're talking quantum physics, antibody yes. and all that? <laughs>
1: yeah. No. I was negative spaces between patterns. Yeah.
4: Not really. They might have been dark gray, could be um, I don't know. It could be dark, dark blue or something, but it's not the black. Yeah, it's not black. So you have to produce. Do you ever really it. get
1: black? I mean, this hat's black, but it's really not black. You
4: know. Yeah, it's already like gray. I've got like
1: five different shades of black on this hat. Already. You
4: mean fifty shades? Fifty shades gray? of black. <laughs> Your but, favorite novel? Uh, but seriously, so, so the the approach was minimalistic. So. I will challenge you right now, Damari. Okay, challenge if you. Me. Okay, if there's once now, it's probably not too green outside, right? Uh, you know, with the no,
1: not at all. I mean, February.
4: There's... But when it is, when the spring starts to come in, and all the bushes get their leaves and stuff green, and then the sunny day, wear that KZM you're wearing right now, and come out and just stand next to a bush, you would immediately blend in. It, it's that freaking it's that uh i've got
1: some pictures um i did take some pictures out when i was at the farm shooting this past weekend i took the took the pm 63 out and got to put my first rounds through it and it shot flawless on semi-auto and i know you've got a full auto marco so go ahead and rub it in if you want to i took the uh, pps so for not
4: impressive your story is not impressive
1: it's not impressive because it was semi-auto. So far, it was impressive to me because I wasn't expecting it to run as, <laughs> as well as it did. Uh, I didn't have any issues, no misfeeds. I, I ran – I probably did 100 rounds through it, um, just poop 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 just to see how it, how it would perform. It did good. The PPS 43, I put the new bolt in it, and it ran great, ran flawless. Again, semi-auto, Marco. I know you got full auto, but <laughs> – and I took the 556 five, out, but I wore this camo. I wore this other camo that you see over my mm-hmm. other shoulder In the my back. shoulder. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the one piece, right? Yeah, that's the the pajama piece back there, yeah. Um and I I took some photos and I, I posted them up on the questions post that I did and I'll post some up with the the show posting too that I did. I'll, I I said I think I sent you a couple of pictures too. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when you said you didn't think that this one was authentic. The pajamas. Yeah, yeah,
4: it, it, it's it a reproduction. Authentic. I'll show you the authentic here in a second.
1: Yeah. But, but even but- even in in February, it still it provided, you know, enough disruption in the uh in in the nature that I was in that it it blended in and I was, you know, from a, from afar I would have been camouflaged.
4: But if you look at those patterns, right, you look at those spots, the yeah. light yellow spots, yeah. they got sharp edges, correct? Looks yeah, like it's more a like a digital. Yeah, it's like a digital. Right. Yeah. This is 1950s. So this the Soviet, Soviets okay. designed it in the 50s knowing that we see our gl- our eyes work in the pixels. Yeah, So that one's see, digital too. Yeah, yeah so so is this right so uh you yeah. can see the sharp edges so our our eyesight we see square bunch of square lines together to make the round thing so we we see in pixels sort of like an early plasma tv or something right. but um so that just goes to show you how far this digital pattern kind of goes back right to yeah. and so um would you say
1: they're the first to do digital
4: absolutely mm-hmm. i mean i know somebody can throw a rock at me tr- trying to uh you know dispute this point although it would just bounce off on me anyway <laughs> but uh Stick anyway himself. so in afghanistan the uh the border along the soviet which is tajikistan uzbekistan and turkmenistan borders They were forwarded units that provided the buffer, sort of buffer zone to secure the border. So they were advanced border guard units, which were under um, the KGB, right? The the committee of uh, state security committee, that's who supervised the border guards. Anyway, and those guys did exactly the same thing. They in, interjected caravans, The whole thing of border guard is being concealed and, and invisible, so on and so on. So right. their Afghan uniform in the later wars of Afghanistan campaign, and in, in the later stages, was this.
1: Let me switch to you. Hold on. All right. So and what is basically
4: this? what you're wearing, but more of a, in um, the the uniform pattern. So they were issued with this type of uniform. And it was very popular. If you run into them like we did, we uh, ran into a two different um, units. We would be trading our stripe shirts, you know, for mm-hmm. some of their uh, uniforms. You know, like Where can trading. I get one of
1: those striped shirts? The, the famous white and blue.
4: I might, I might have have one that's new.
1: A brand new one.
4: I think so. I'll, I'll let you know after this. Probably,
1: probably wouldn't fit me though. You're, you're no, it's, it's It'll
4: probably fit you better than it fits me now. <laughs> 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 anyway, but uh, we wore and another. what is
1: that called? I mean, that's not really camo, but you see that a lot in uh, Russian uniforms in the olden days. The, the white and the blue stripe, vertical stripe.
4: It's called it's uh, right. t- tel-nashka. telnashka, Telnashka, and uh, the root there is "tel" for word "telo," which means your body. So it's sort of like a a body shirt, but it was issued with this pattern, with this colors, issued to airborne units only. Okay. Um, and since like... uh, Spetsnaz didn't have its own uniform, they were uh, supplied as an airborne unit.
1: Gotcha, and they those were tight fitting, like you said, body kind of like body. They were designed- not
4: necessarily. It's like a tank top, but uh, the only thing is, was a higher collar, yeah, and kind of wider yeah. shoulder. I don't know gotcha. if you can see it. Yeah, and
1: like they say like a tank top,
4: and it was part of the uniform that you wore, even uh, your um, a parade or everyday uniform. So part of your neck will be covered by that pattern.
1: And why? What was the purpose in covering the neck? Just no, to... it's just
4: showing, you know. Otherwise, you had to all the infantry guys had to button up all the way up to the neck, right? Right. In this case, um, the airborne okay. units were actually had a free did not have and to button up all the way, like a yeah, like a crew neck type of a wedge.
1: Didn't want to because... show that gorilla hair. That's what it
4: is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To to not to show the all the hair in there you know, chests. So but this anyways, is, a, so, is
1: this a World War II pattern that we're, that we're up to now? There's this pattern? No, we... we
4: kind of passed by it. We just did a little uh, excursion back to the World War II. But okay. um, so now we're talking about um, the modern warfare, so to speak. And then uh, um, this particular pattern of camouflage remained uh, as a prevalent in the Soviet military up until the uh, 90, uh, I guess, late late 80s and 90s, where uh, the it was clear that Soviet Union is going to be uh, separating and then the new uh, modern Russian army would emerge from it, yeah. which, of course, when you break something in the to build it from the brick, the foundation and up, of course, you know, uh, Russia in the 90s did not, uh, Lit through a good times, let's put it yeah. that way. And, and now the, we're, the we're to the technology
1: age of where you know we're getting into some night vision capabilities. Uh,
4: night vision capabilities actually, In the, the World War II was the first use of infrared, um, lighted right, uh, uh night vision capability. Soviets bought into it, uh, heavily, and they had the first, uh, a case with the uh with the little side relief uh back in the in the early 50s where they would have this large freaking ir lamp so to speak lighting up the the you know area of you know, target area. And then you had like stars. one of those
1: lighthouse things you see on a lighthouse. Yeah, outside.
4: it literally was about this big. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, the kind of uh switch to what they call uh starlight technology, which basically it took any source of light that you can including the starlight, you know, the the light from the stars, moon, moon star. yeah. um, any kind of maybe a street light somewhere, and multiplied it enhanced it by 10 million times
1: 10 million holy
4: cow. yeah and you would generate that black and green um pattern i yeah. guess and uh, and it, it to some point i mean i still do shoot through my uh, generation three scopes which i have several i have four the original soviet scopes and they work really well and and when i taught the sniper school they'
1: working that's awesome
4: oh yeah uh, when I taught a sniper school, we had uh, uh, between day two and three, we had a night fire exercise, which we shot at the targets as far as 400 meters, which it's kind of like reaching to uh, end of capability. Yeah. And it's hard to especially when we didn't have a, a, like, let's say it was overcasted or something. And, you know, it's kind of hard to see. And uh, the one way that you can use it and whoever's listening, you can uh, use still use a starlight technology scopes and you can determine where the target is, because let's say it's a black target. If you start just swaying your gun, like imitating the movement of a target, movement is what is pretty much uh, gives you away in the, against the night vision. Not the thermal is self-explanatory, but if you sway your gun back and forth imitating the movement you would you should be able to distinguish the stationary black target
6: hey leadheads, white settle with seal one just here to talk to you and tell you a little bit about our product seal one clp plus is a bio-based non-toxic product it comes in a paste liquid aerosol and pre-saturated bore specific patches called seal skins they all do the same thing just different methods of application The best way to use our product is to start with a clean firearm. There's two reasons why I say that. First you start with the Seal 1 CLP Plus by field stripping your firearm and covering the entire firearm inside and out, bore, barrel, everything with the Seal 1 CLP Plus. You'll see how easy it spreads around. You will want to wait about 15 to 20 minutes, then you come back and you want to wipe it all off. So you see how easy it is to put on and remove. And the second reason we say to use a clean firearm is you'll find that it's not clean. We're gonna pull out more carbon that's been left behind with whatever product you've been using before. Okay, it takes about three cleanings, so I like to say a clean shoot, clean shoot, clean shoot, just normal usage before the Seal one CLP Plus has removed whatever product that you were using before and has seasoned the firearm. It's kind of like breaking in a cast iron skillet. And after that first cleaning, you will notice a difference. And with each successive cleaning, you will find that it gets easier and easier to clean. Seal One CLP Plus is a dry lubricant and is designed to work as such. You will find that malfunctions are virtually eliminated when used properly because the majority of all malfunctions are caused to carbon buildup. And with the Seal One CLP Plus, the carbon does not build up seal one clp plus is safe on all metals plastics composites polymers rubber wood and leather seal one clp plus is a one and done formulation no other products are required or needed to clean and lubricate and protect your firearm that's why we say seal one and done seal one is a proud sponsor of the talking lead podcast and the leadhead brigade use the code leadhead for a 25 percent off discount
4: but anyway, so
1: I guess my see. point in, in in bringing up the night vision is: at what point did militaries realize that okay, now we've got to defeat? Yeah, you know, not let let just me, the normal me, no, sniper scope. Now we got to defeat this type of technology. With Correct.
4: Let me uh, check out for just a second to grab two more items. Okay.
2: Okay. do. I got something you there. can pull up on the screen there. Uh, speaking of starlight. Oh,
4: by the way, I do have a modern dog pattern. Um the pattern bring camel bring it let me it. demonstrate oh you no, can't no. see it it was my pants anyway I'll show you <laughs> no, okay we don't want
1: to uh, see doors, marco <laughs> so there's a
2: there's a korean warrior starlight scope um wow i think in answer my opinion to your question of when night vision became more of a uh Concerned more of a concern was yeah. when they when night vision became smaller because it's some to mentioned night like starlight scopes are huge and that's on a m one carbine obviously so it's a bit of a smaller platform but like yeah. that's um I took this picture actually at the uh uh what is it called the uh that museum the museum the big one in Wyoming right the big like the mega right. firearms museum right so like starlights are this is a picture I took um last summer uh in wyoming Shit, what's the name of that museum i gotta
4: like they're super cool
1: so this is the uh, night vision that you're talking about marco right
4: yeah correct starlight. so both the soviets and the uh and the americans developed them almost at the same time also the starlight scopes that uh we talked about were developed almost at the same time in uh, in, uh for vietnam war use on m16s yeah and the so- soviet model was oh, there uh, by go. far more so obedient. i
2: got the name of the museum now i want to make sure cody wyoming's uh, museum of the west right it's Correct. The, yeah. one of the biggest yeah. biggest firearms museums in the world so i took this picture um the starlight i think it's actually plugged into like an external battery uh this is not i wouldn't say this is optimal for like a recce patrol a recon patrol or anything because it's it's just so large um that's more of like a static position you have like you know a few hundred chinese soldiers coming up a hill in korea right i've and had the
1: uh in. the curator of that museum on the show
2: before. yeah yeah so i'm sure people uh we had the, the round
4: tables there
2: she yeah she Hel- Ashley.
1: Hel- oh. is what's her name head Hel- Hel-
2: something yeah a- ashley h-, h yeah uh heblinski i think Hiblinsky. but yeah, it's like a, yeah yeah she's so been
1: a lot I of uh history channel shows and stuff like
2: that. Yeah, Yeah. so she knows her stuff, but that's the one that, uh, actually, at that museum, uh, the one starlight example. I don't know if it's a particularly special starlight. Some other stuff there is very special, but, um, yeah, night vision doesn't become smaller for a few like It's more of, like, a, at least in my opinion, um, I'm not an expert on night vision, but, like, it seems to me to be more of, like, a static position thing. Um, so, it's not in every scenario where Night vision is something that needs to be defeated. Now, interestingly, I've got I've I'll got a right, weird.
4: I'll I'll be right back. Okay, like right back.
2: I've got a bit of a weird one to show you.
5: All
1: right, let's see it.
2: And maybe I don't know. You'd have to ask Fidel Castro what he was thinking when he when he got people to develop this. So maybe this.
5: I
1: don't think he's a camel. Yet.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. So, um, this is a really interesting one: Cuban gray lizard. And, uh, you know, what I'm wearing right now, the Rhodesian brushstroke, uh, basically on the other side of that war, uh, I, at least, you know, in South Africa, Southern Africa, um, with Soviet-aligned forces, uh, or Soviet-or-Chinese-aligned forces, the Cuban troops and Soviet advisors wore this particular camo, Cuban Grey Lizard. So this is a mint condition original. Nice. Um, that I have here. Is that Fidel? Like there's a lot of pictures actually. If you look up Fidel visiting troops in Angola in the 80s, uh, the, the it comes up quite a bit. Uh, let me see yeah, if yeah. I can find uh, the the camo in action here. Um, if I can share the screen, uh, Cuban
4: What are you holding Angola? up
1: there, Mario? He's pulling oh, that. yeah. Here's a generation
4: three. A Soviet-made one uh, PN-58, a Starlight.
2: Oh. oh, you have one. Yeah, I have it's – that's, that's pretty uh, – that's super cool.
4: I have two of this, and I have the 34s, two 34s. Wow.
2: Now, if and we – So
4: it mounts to a regular side mount right here. Either it's P, uh, SVD or um, – your AK-74 or AKM. The turrets, um, I don't know if you can tell Oh, okay. Let's see if you can, um, where my fingers are, right here.
1: Yeah, you're pointing toward the-
4: Right the... Uh, there, mm-hmm. it says SVD. But it comes with the uh, several, um, turrets that you can replace, the, I guess, the the scales that you can replace. It's uh, RPK, uh, PKM, RPK-74. Depending PK on the rifle
1: that you're using it on, then they've got the correct adapters for that. So, okay. so
4: this right here is diaphragm, so you can use it at daytime by uh, opening or closing it. Right. And then at night, this is your lens. Huh. Okay. So at at that time when this was developed and it, and being issued to the troops,
1: can you still so get that? You find surplus of those, or no possible to find?
4: I mean, I, I I I'm willing to sell at least one of them. Anybody <laughs> <wants to. laughs> but it still works, and it works really great. Um, the only thing is, what's kind of like a. Um, Hard to find is rechargeable batteries.
2: Yeah, I was gonna ask, is it a built in
4: battery or is it an external battery? It's a built in, so it's, it's like no, it's external batteries. Okay, it's basically a giant tablet type battery, you know, like yeah. a uh, and they encase in this case right here. However, when I when David 40 and I went to uh NPZ, which is the optics plant in Novosibirsk back in, um. I want to say like 2008 or something. Um, <laughs> I brought up a subject. I said I got a couple of the scopes and, and the guy goes, I got you. And he gives me this container that looks exactly like this. When you open it up, you can put three uh, double A's in it. Oh, that's oh, good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I have that.
1: I was going to say, is it impossible to get those batteries, but they've done a an adapter to where you can use modern day batteries on it?
4: Uh, well uh, that's what he gave me actually yeah. while i was there but um I also have a uh, uh, old charger that was actually plugged into the btr or Bmp oh while you were in the back and it would charge this batteries so I still have that i rewired it for a uh, regular car <laughs> 12 volt
2: <laughs> nice that's that's nice
4: and uh, so I can charge it in the car or in a special adapter where i can plug it on the wall well it's it still works and it's clear as clear as day Uh it's clear as a starlight scope and that that could
1: be part of the marco experience so when we get that oh
4: absolutely it's no doubt about it but uh like i said i have all kinds of things that you can shoot so and as of late we have rpg 7.
1: yeah you mentioned that the last show you held it up so
4: yeah. Yes, so um, back to this one-piece cam- camo, and this is the true color of it. Uh, it's green with gray pattern. Okay. Okay. Also, it has... And what is this uh, called? This is called called K- KLMK.
1: KLMK, okay.
4: So it also has this thingies, right? Back to it up a little
1: them- bit, and then the light is coming from top so tilt it so we can see there, there
4: so that's where you put your grass and twigs and stuff in it actually i do have a let me see if i have a picture of it i can share but what what we you have learn. here right it's a 70s design and the use of starlight scopes already in you know in wide swing so when you turn it inside out what cj was showing the american parka
1: uh-huh.
4: for anti uh night vision uh pattern this particular uh, outfit also if you turn it inside out it becomes i don't know if you can see the pattern the yeah Mash with the spots right yeah that's a combat the uh night vision
1: the night vision okay so they had they had to answer my question, they had already considered this and were developing counters to, to night vision. Okay.
4: Correct. And this so was let the, me see if I can find this, this right.
1: This was the 50s.
4: No, it was more, more of like a late 60s, early mm-hmm. 70s.
1: Okay.
2: Then again, it's just because like the early 50s era starlights are huge. Like comparative, even to what Marco had, like that that one there at the Museum of the West is like
4: huge. It's, it's like it's a giant. It's Not two. Di- yeah. Hank, it's two different generations. The one yeah, that's it- uh, the one that you saw on the mounted an M1 carbine, and the same one that the Soviets were using. Those were that large lamp or projector looking thing. It's actually IRs, the uh, infrared um, right. source and uh, the uh, the scope itself picked up the lit up uh target this one right here does not use ir at all it uses the that multiplication from uh, stars and moon and stuff it amplifies it yeah. multiplies it by uh, 10 million or more whatever and so it's a different technology now modern uh um uh, night vision, which we say, oh, it's generation five, it's light years ahead. It uses IR lighting source again. And you know what happens in my, in my scope, PSO one scope on my, um, SVD rifle, I had a little screen that I can flip and then I would see the IR sources. And oftentimes you would look, they look like a tiny little Christmas lights. Through that scope, and, the, and all I have to do is position my lit up uh, reticle right on that light and pull the trigger. So the right. IR is only IR works both ways, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So you can uh, somebody can trace you to the source of that IR uh, elimination.
1: Well, let's let's move on to the camo, because um, we got to get to listener questions and, and do all that too. So okay move
2: um i got this guy i think it's still up on screen the guys actually okay. wearing this stuff yeah uh which is kind of interesting so there's cuban troops here in angola in the 80s so they were against the south africans um in the african you know brush fire conflicts during the cold war so you see these guys wearing it uh here's another kind of black and white one sec Let's see if i can pull up this one here too sure it's another black and white photo of these guys wearing Cuban soldiers, Angola one. Yeah, there we go. This guy. So these guys, uh, with this scrim helmets. So this was widely utilized, um, by the, uh, the Cuban forces that were actually fighting in Africa at the time and issued to any Soviet advisors that happened to be attached to them. Cause there were a few, uh, different, po- at different points. Uh, I got another thing here it's kind of the, it's an East German pattern. Uh, it's kind of an interesting... One sec, let's see if I can open it up. Oops. It's all flipping out on me. There we go. So this is an East German pattern. Uh, it's called Muster, which means just raindrop. Uh, there we go. So this one was also very, very common. War, uh, it was issued to the East German military um, as kind of their own standard issue pattern. It's not the best pattern in the world, but it was very commonly used by...
1: Very uh, subtle. And,
2: yeah, it's very, very subtle. Um, it's it's still, like, quite popular today because there's still a lot of surplus of it available out there. But almost basically, like a tree
1: bark kind of deal. Yeah, so
2: yeah, yeah, very similar to, like, like um, almost, like, I think there's, like, a tree bark mossy oak or whatever. Like, it's really similar to that almost, just more rudimentary. Uh, But this, this is my example, it's somewhere deep in my library somewhere, but this is actually my shirt, um, a picture of it. And basically, it's, uh, it was issued to the uh, various, like, anti, I guess you could say, like, actually, I guess you could just say, like, communist factions in uh, Southern Africa at the time. So, uh, Zipra, um, Frelimo, the ANC, uh, Zanla, all these, like, guys in southern Africa, all these abbreviated names of just either these groups that were fighting for either independence from um uh Portugal or fighting the Rhodesians uh or fighting the South Africans um or in the case of Southwest Africa also again fighting for independence there uh these these the the guerrillas the communist trained guerrillas uh were very commonly seen in that particular pattern too which is just Kind of a dirtier gray, right? It's very, very German um in the undertone, but yeah, it's got this weird gray to it. Uh this is a really interesting. Hold on, let's see if I find the other thing here. So if you're not familiar with like the ANC, the ANC are basically um Nelson Mandela's faction, right? Very early on. Uh fighting for basically against apartheid. So this is like it's straight up propaganda publication from 1967 anti-apartheid news and it's the first time that these groups are kind of showing off their capabilities and stuff uh you can see even though it's very rudimentary and it looks like they're they're wearing clearly like the east german uniforms um they're making good use of like the foliage right and i guarantee you they had some sort of soviet advisor you know teaching this uh without question because it's it's quite effective so what year was this, um, 1967?
1: 1967,
2: yes, so very, very early on, not, Marco, not long. Uh, were you in Cuba in 1967,
1: yeah.
4: Marco? <laughs> yes, that was my first assignment as a baby. As a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Guga, yeah. Guga, stop apartheid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so those are very early pictures, but... um it was certainly utilized by, by the opposite. I, I brought this up first because I think it's like I've actually looked at this thing under nods because this is an original. It does pretty good. Like not, not spectacularly. Cause, um, it's, it's an old school garment, but it does right. pretty good. It's never been washed. So that's probably another reason why. Uh, but okay. on the, on the side that I kind of focus on, um, the Rhodesian side, uh, we have, of course, revision breaststroke, and there's there's an original shirt made by Statesman for anybody you know, because there's a lot of people that are very, I guess, anal about this. Like, like, is it a real, genuine rare. article? So there's there it is, Statesman for anybody that knows Statesman, uh, Paramount, Traco, and uh, John Rollitt and Sons were the only real manufacturers of the genuine article so very good Provision brush statesman
1: shirt um, yeah. this- yeah, what, we're seeing, what we're seeing in in these camo patterns especially as they're getting more modern is we're seeing what's indicative of the environment that they're going to be in yes Yeah, exactly
4: exactly're trying to
1: mimic the the foliage and yeah and whatnot that's in the environments that they're in
2: so this particular pattern derives uh, in large part from an earlier pattern that was adopted by the Portuguese about a, let's say like five, six years before the Rhodesian, not five, six years, a little bit, little bit before the Rhodesian, maybe even like 10 years before the Rhodesian conflict really kicked off. Um, Portugal had a bunch of colonies in Southern Africa. So they controlled Angola, uh, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, um, They'll huge swath of territory going back to like the days of Vasco da Gama, you know, circumnavigating Africa. Um, they kept all their African colonies right up until the 1960s uh, and t- towards the end of the uh, after the death of the, the dictator um, Salazar and kind of the end of the old regime in Portugal, Uh, the local Africans who had been living under Portuguese rule for a very long time, um, largely influenced by kind of Marxist liberation beliefs, kicked off a series of revolts and civil wars uh, inside these countries. So the Portuguese uh, got a heck of a lot of experience um, operating against these uh, various insurgent groups over multiple countries and I've, I'm not a big expert on those particular conflicts because I don't speak Portuguese. A lot of the stuff is kind of like behind language <laughs> language barriers and in a big way um, but they developed uh, variants of this pattern, the Portuguese lizard. They were horizontal and uh, vertical patterns so, so this one's like more like a vertical but some of them are more horizontal. It Darius. looks like
1: paint brush strokes is what it looks like.
2: Exactly. Uh Now, this actually uh, follows like another family of patterns called like lizard, right? Yeah, that was Which one of the is uh, very like French style. So the French were kind of the first to do a lizard in 1947 um, because they're fighting in Indochina in a very dense jungle environment, just like the Portuguese are fighting in Angola in the 1960s in a dense jungle environment. So there's the development of this particular pattern here. This is one of the few I have in my collection. Um, it, it exists in like a whole bunch of different varieties and stuff. There's like, there's, there's like different shades of it. Um, and again, some of it is just hard to find. Uh, the I think exact, that's what like, you're going to
1: find in way. most of the, the camos is there's going to be different shades because of yeah. the different different types of seasons, the different yeah. Uh, environments. Yeah. Yeah, and even like just different
2: units would be issued different things. So different uh, inspired things. by that and inspired by the uh, the British um, Denison Smock, which was a precursor to, well, this pattern, um, an artist named uh, Diana Cameron, who is unfortunately no longer with us. She passed away uh, from cancer, I think, in 2000, kind of like the late 2000s. She passed away from cancer from I understand, or 2010s. Uh, but she, she was a woman who lived in what was then Southern Rhodesia. Um, and, uh, she, you know, she grew up there, so she understood kind of what that biome looked like. Uh, and she was commissioned by a company called David Whitehead Textiles Limited, uh, which still technically exists today in Zimbabwe, uh, to figure out a replacement to the aging stocks of British denizen smock patterns, uh, which was literally just khaki with um a giant mop brush uh painting you know greens and browns over top of it so it was a kind of rudimentary camouflage pattern we saw a lot in the second world war with paratroopers um so she was commissioned to like replace these aging stocks of british uniforms create something a little more indigenous and at the time um southern Rhodesia was still a British colony uh right up until 1965 so she was just doing this around 64 uh right before y- Rhodesia kind of broke off from uh, the British empire because they wanted to go their own way. And uh, they didn't want these super extremist African nationalists like Nkomo and Mugabe to get involved in politics. Anyways, whole political history. I won't get into that, but like just the camo side, Diana Cameron was told, Hey, we want you to develop the pattern. So she literally went out, like looked at the biome and she had a good eye for it. And this Variants of this were the in? first developments. Um, there was a more arid coloration at first, uh, and then it got darker over time. So you, you see here, I have like an unwashed shirt of yeah. my pattern, which is it's a modern cut and stuff. But original.
1: What is the Rhodesian Rode- pattern known as? Just Rhodesian pattern.
2: Rhodesian brushstroke. So this is specifically second pattern Rhodesian brushstroke. There was an arid pattern at first, which was fielded. Uh, those are really, really rare to come by now, if you can come by them at all. But basically, the first pattern, um, the fir- the arid pattern, uh, was was a little, little too deserty uh, for the very green, lush uh, southern African landscape, right. right? So they they went back to the drawing board. They tweaked the colors, but they used the same shapes. Uh, one of the very distinctive shapes in that pattern is the thunderbolt or lightning bolt as people call it, right? And uh huh. they they tweaked it, they made it darker. This is obviously an original, like very, very old shirt. So it's very faded. Um I have some other original examples, a little little tiny bit better, but they're all like, you know, on my mannequins and stuff right now. No, that shows but it, that there's shows um yeah. but this this shirt here is basically what my other bush jacket that I'm looking at right now. Uh, looks like as far as coloration. So it became a little bit darker and it works and the greens became a little bit heavier, um, green over brown. And uh, to this day, the uh, Zimbabwean army still uses that pattern because it just, you know, with like probably anti-air compliant fabric nowadays, but like with, just because it still works out there in that environment. Um, And then there's kind of a weird development from that which is the trans sky pattern, which is very similar to these, the Zimbabwean horizontal lizards. So that derived from the Rhodesian and it's more just like a simplified hybrid between. It's like right. they
1: took the uh, palm lizard. leaf in design. Yeah. of it.
2: Yeah, basically. So it's an interesting one. I figured I'd show that as well, but yeah, uh, yeah those are some of the original ones. And, um, Unfortunately, that for the, the South Africans, most of their guys were wearing this, which is just nutria brown. Uh, because in especially in Southwest Africa, which is a very different biome than even like Mozambique, um, or Rhodesia or Zimbabwe, uh, there's nutria brown, which is just brown, dirt, just dirt. right, dirt, just, dirt color. Uh, I mean, it, it worked it fairly really well.
1: On that. That's perfect, yeah.
2: Yeah, it worked fairly well. Um, part of the reason why they had that particular pattern was because it was a it was a conscript army. Um, sure. Rhodesia was like because so much of it, so much of the Rhodesian army was black, black African Shona and Ndebele. Like most of the guys were volunteers; they were not conscripts. So, uh, and it was a much smaller military, even though they didn't have the biggest budget in the world, and they're facing all kinds of international sanctions. Uh, they still fielded that pattern basically to everybody, uh, including, uh, members of the British South Africa police. So like the national police force, um, everybody was wearing that camo with exception to, uh, I, uh, in TAF, which was kind of, it was kind of a weird hybrid between military police and like civil servants, um, in TAF, so they wore khaki, but everybody else basically was in Rhodesian brush throughout the course of the war. It's kind of interesting. Now, yeah. some of the um, South African units here, I got something pulled up on the screen because I don't, I don't have my original here, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if you can see that.
1: Uh, yeah, I got it. Right
2: there's a, so there's 3-2 Battalion Camo, uh, one of the units in so- Southern Africa. Oh, shoot. I don't know where my other – I had other coats. I don't know where they are. Did they fall or something? I don't know. Anyways, um, I had I have a variant of that pattern. So oh, there's another guy.
1: And what are we looking at, Marco? Marco's holding up.
4: Uh, so you're looking at that KLMK one piece. See. I'll be I'll be right back. Okay. And you you got the KZ, KZM hood under underneath with the veil over the head, and you could see in the armbands, you know, in the upper arms, there's twigs sticking out of the. Yeah, Those,
1: he's got it tucked yes. tucked in various spots of his his camouflage. There, you know, I don't but think that's what's
4: actually me.
1: Is that you? Yeah. What uh, What year was that? Uh, like, did you go out this weekend to do that?
4: No, it was like a twenty ten or something. <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay.
1: All right. So let's let's do this. Um, I know you want to show something else, but we need to move on. Um, we kind of need to try to fast forward and, and get up to modern day uh, uh camos so we can do our listener questions. Oops. We still gotta do listener questions and we're two hours into this. So let's okay. uh let's let's go into our our pulling it up to modern day here, Marco.
4: All right, so the U.S. went with the A.C.U. and uh, you know the for the army, and then you had the Marine and Navy and stuff. Marines went with their um, Marpat, which is by digital and by far more effective than uh, A.C.U. A.C.U. In fact, this is the pattern right here.
1: Yeah, the right. A.C.U. I've got uh, some some bags in that
4: right so it's just to give you an idea if you walk away from firing line and the person is standing there like let's say 100 yards or or further this thing shines like a neon spotlight (laughs) yeah I don't know what they were thinking obviously if you're in the field for a while and it's dirty and stuff and it starts to blend in with the dirt but it's neither here or there for either uh wooded area or green more pre- prevalent european theater or the sand uh, sandbox which is you know khakis and uh light browns uh, more uh, beige more i think uh, whoever violent. picked
1: that uh, was probably friends with the designer and uh, that's how they got chosen right
4: so the money is shared and uh, divided exactly so um and you know like i said the marine corps had the better uh, pattern the marpat it was more of like a pixelated a more and they had two different patterns the desert and the uh um and the woodland kind of area and the woodland was uh by far better and the uh the one that's uh, the desert just as i said earlier all you need is a regular khaki you don't need to break it up in any way because it just you'll blend into the dirt into the dirt or sand however the largest uh or the biggest um development in, in a camera was multicam and multicam speaking from uh my personal experience
5: mm-hmm.
4: um on any kind of background whether it's desert mountains or even uh green because in the greenery you know you have a lot of underbrush that is dead branches and leaves and stuff that is not green. Right. Multicam from 600 yards and distinguishable if the person doesn't move against a drop of like I said any of those environments. And I mean, that's the one diagnostic. thing
1: in, in any camouflage is movement is going to give you away. That's
4: Well, yeah, I mean uh so and in conclusion the best uh camel pattern far none the for, by its effectiveness and stuff and uh, concealment is a white camel in the snow. <laughs> But it right. comes with, but it comes. I mean, literally, it's bit, especially if it's on a sunny day or overcast day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It reacts the white pattern, and when you see this modern outfits made out of nylon with the black splatches and shit, I wanna, sh- I wanna ask that person who designed that where the freaking black splashes in the snow.
1: Yeah.
4: And as soon as you move, that black splash is gonna move right going to give you away even if yeah. the sun is in your face and you're standing there by you know you can sneak up on someone with a, with the white camel because it's it's literally that good however not without the limitations for example your tracks in the snow is easily visible yeah. right so you need to know how to make a loop to come to your firing position well, so that, you we know that.
1: To. I think we've got a question, listener question, about that too, as far as you know tactics, you know, while wearing your your camo movement and stuff like that. So we'll we'll get into that, but talk to it to the extent that you want to right now. So,
4: so that's that's all I want to say is like uh the summer camo or like all weather camo, other than snow, is multicam, par none at this point. um Old Soviet camo, like something I'm wearing or you're wearing is really good in the wooded areas might not so much let's say in the deserted areas right. and then you got and then you got your uh white snow uh the, the snow white camo that is probably the most effective however just like any other piece of equipment that is on you including your firearms your loadout all your vests and body armor and everything you have to train with it and know how to use it
1: yeah now and another thing that we didn't really talk a high level about or a, any level at all is the materials that it's made of you kind of mentioned it but the material that the uh, the camouflage is made of plays a big part also in it blending into your environment
4: uh so. obvious okay so if it's uh i can't believe i'm talking about this stuff. anyway like let's say let's say yeah, obviously you don't want a nylon. Yeah, the nylon is going to make that sh- 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 kind of swooshy sound as you move. Okay, you yep. know. The noise Take... is
1: camouflage, also.
4: Right. It's so arctic- you ain't going to sneak up on someone from behind to stick them, right? Uh, like a you know sentry guy, or somebody. But anyway, sound like parachute yes. pants. Yeah. So you want you you want something that is like a a cotton soft, you know stuff or some kind of cotton blend yeah it's the best and uh hey, mark when i want to say parachute I mean, pants, the, the military stuff is really good what the
1: 80s breakdancing uh pants when i say parachute pants
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes the this MC is, by the way this is another subject of a private discussion between you and i are close friends <laughs>
1: yeah, um the breakdancing parachute pants
4: <laughs> yes <laughs>
1: I was quite the but anyway,
4: that's that's what I have to say. So out
1: Okay. Hank. You your mic's off. You've muted yourself. And thank Am you I for my Am I back? Am I back. back.
2: back. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Um, so there's some uh speaking of the uh the modern um, there's, there's a, there's a few modern African pieces that are current issue that I actually have, uh, but really quickly before I go on to those and, and kind of talk about them very, very, very quickly here. Um, I do want to mention 32 battalion and, uh, the South African Reckies, So the South African special forces rather than this Brown, um, because it was a big conscript army. So if you're in a regular line regiment, you're given the Browns, neutral Brown. Uh, they wore like this, basically there's my original dark Recky pattern. Okay. So pretty cool. It derives from a pattern that was utilized by a group of guys called the Hunter Group, which were just a bunch of army reservists uh, that had a lot of spare time and recognized that there was going to be a need for special forces in this counterinsurgency war. So they developed their own custom pattern from that. Uh, the three, two battalionslash recce patterns were all developed. So they wore that uh, on the note of the Portuguese lizard. Uh, even though it was developed all the way in the 1960s, it has survived into the present day in the form of this variant of Portuguese lizard, which from my understanding, even though I don't speak Portuguese, but from my understanding is the current issue to uh, their Marine Corps or Naval Infantry, uh, the Fuzilaros Navis. So I'm probably completely butchering that pronunciation, but this is still apparently their current issue uniform I bet Marco
1: is, speaks Portuguese. He, don't you speak like 12 different languages, Marco? See. see. C.
2: Okay. see. Si. <laughs> there you go. Si. So Naval Infantry apparently still uses this uh, unto the present day. Um, and this is kind of an interesting one. So this was used a lot by another counterinsurgency unit in Southern Africa called uh, Kofut, um, which was part of the Southwest Africa fr- uh, Police Force. Uh, what is now modern day Namibia so they use the pattern called uh, well it, it just, just South African police second pattern camo looks
1: like, a, looks like an elephant on there little baby yeah, elephant so patterns,
2: unlike like the forests of Mozambique like Namibia is a desert right so this is a very um, desert camo I mean, if you come, I'll come really close up so you can see that
1: yeah now are they are they using this to hunt the poachers?
2: So interestingly enough, uh this is still used by the South African police like service, the, the modern South African police service is special task force. So that's your equivalent of like SWAT, right? Um, and they're they're a very weird, they're not weird, but like unique unit in that they're the only one where every single member has to be paratrooper qualified. Right, So they have a very tough selection course, uh, probably one of the toughest selection courses in the world. It's like a national SWAT force, um, a pretty good documentary on them in, in on YouTube where I think it's like Bill Clinton goes to visit Mandela and oh, they're, they're hanging out, they're talking, they're giving their speeches. But who's there, you know, with the sniper overwatch, a special task force. So to this day, their special task force still uses that pattern. Um, and they're wearing, you know, like cry precision check, like plate carriers and all that stuff, all your modern stuff. But that's that old pattern that is, you know, dates back to the eighties in the Southwest Africa conflict. They still use uh, to this day from what I understand and the South African army today. So I mentioned the Zimbabwean army still uses this basically, uh, just with the Browns over greens rather than green over Brown, but it's functioning the same pattern um the south africans don't ask how i got this because this is illegal to own in south africa I don't know what you're but, talking about. Uh, this is the soldier 2000 which is what they currently use um it's been fielded in a lot of their current deployments with uh i don't know what the the african equivalent of the un the au or whatever african union or whatever so a lot of their deployments and u.n deployments as well into um, Central that Africa looks like
5: public. a
1: toss between the amoeba, the woodland, yep. and uh,
4: multicam. That is right. It, again, it's the yeah. uh, break up the uh, yep. shape and silhouette and the environment you operate. Yeah, well, I, have, so... I haven't been to Africa several times and been through the entire country of Mozambique, and I'm talking about not Maputo or big old towns. I'm talking about from border to border. Uh, you know west east and then south and north in the 18-hour day and the freaking uh rail inspector car which i probably dropped the kidney somewhere along the way crossing <laughs> limpopo river i can tell you that that pattern right there would be the most uh applicable exactly. for the yep. environment it's it, it is absolutely beautiful country unlike anything this.
1: else I, I, that just brought something to mind so we're gonna to get to listener questions, but I want to ask a, a question uh, because you have been to a lot of different areas, a lot of different countries, Marco, and, and operated um, for the different countries. This <laughs> Operate, kind of, this kind
4: operated of, the scooter. A scooter. <laughs>
1: talk about just like that. It's like being in that region of Mozambique. You're saying that that pattern right there that he that he showed up. That's the most effective pattern. So talk about the different parts of the world you know where the which pattern is going to be the most effective
4: well okay so if you take if you take um a picture of a place that I was like outside of the city in the you know in the where people live in those round huts and then they basically uh, cook a uh, food and uh, uh cooking fires outside and you know I mean I've seen it in my own eyes with baobab trees and stuff and things in the environment right uh so you gotta you know kind of pay attention to the elements so first of all the dirt is red you know like uh it, it's extremely full of minerals and fertile soil but it's red unlike european black for example you're or talking about in africa same, in africa okay red, and all like right. west africa and mozambique and then it's got lavish green too mixed into it so it's not like you gotta um alone so to speak no you got like a red dirt sticking out with some scraggly looking grass here and there and then you got this lavish trees and stuff and by the way also when there's a a water there's a luscious plantations of of a cane you know sugar cane and stuff so all of those you got to put them all together and that's what you come up with your prevalent camel um Pattern, and the right. same goes. How the woodland became uh, so popular is because in the, in the in the forest, and the trees, and in in the brush, you know, you, you would uh, mostly European or North American yeah. uh, area, and then you start talking about just a, a desert pattern, which I think the you know they didn't really have to come up and pay millions of dollars developing that early desert pattern and then later desert p- pattern they didn't have to do it all they have to do is make a beige uniform and you would blend in like a get like sand.
1: sand color
4: so but, as a matter of fact well, just like British, the dirt, though,
1: you've got different shades of sand too in different parts of the
4: right yeah. if you uh you know going back to uh Africa core not the the German Africa Corps but to Brits right and they' SAS people we're in, uh, you know, operating in a, the North Africa deserted area. Their shade of camel was almost pink, they even yeah. called it pink desert pink. Was and, it some of the uh,
1: early, earlier Russian camel? Didn't it have like a pinkish? I mean, they called it gray, but it looked pink. No,
4: no, Russians all man, they don't Purple. play with pink. <laughs> <laughs> I they, thought you were they, man they, enough, they, to wear Pink. they Come reject off. they reject pink pink in the military ve- vehemently but no, no there was no pink okay but uh, yeah the british famous desert pink so it was really it's you know from far away you would look it's you know it looks beige but yeah. the close closer you get uh, you'll see the pink little um pink color in it
1: yeah the pigmentation okay So um, let's get to listener questions now. I don't think you were taking that question where I wanted you to take it, but that's okay. Um, And today uh, we just found out from CJ earlier, we're giving away a PPS 43 as the grand prize for today. Uh, But we also have a $50 uh, coupon generously donated by Hank and uh, Fire Force Ventures where you guys can go to their website and you can use that Uh, the winner can use that on anything there that they'd like to purchase, and then Hank is also generously extending Mm -hmm. a discount code to you, Leadheads. Mm -hmm. Um, what did we decide the code was going to be? Leadhead, Leadhead. That's Leadhead. You get 15% off any of your purchases at Fire Force Ventures, uh, and that's good for a few months now. When when...
2: I think end of the month here,
1: in end of the month,
2: month. yeah, end of the month, yep.
1: You're not going to get very many people use it because there's people behind. I would extend it to at least uh, April. I mean, give it a couple of months. People are behind on listening, so and this isn't going to drop till the 15th. So that
2: uh, let's go 15 April, 15 April. Sounds great. I push it, push it there.
1: Let's Sounds see. great. That'll give them an opportunity just, to, just
2: so people can actually use it. There you go. Uh, um, and then we're going to. Be,
1: Okay, and then we're going to be giving away a dump tray for Mission First Tactical that's going to have the Tongue Lead AK Corner logo, and it's going to have the Pioneer Arms Corps logo. I haven't had one made up yet, but there's the patches. I don't know if you can see that patch. I can... um, It's one of the patches that Pioneer has. It's a pretty cool patch. I think you only get that if if you order a gun. They include those patches in there. Uh, so it's and hard then we're to
4: also by those uh, Scooby Doo patches.
1: I know the Scooby Doos are rare. And then also, seal one for all your gun cleaning and lube needs. Seal one and done. Uh, you'll get like a complete gun care package. It'll have the pads, it'll have the seal uh, one CLP plus, it'll have a brush, uh, all kinds of uh, anything you need to, to clean your firearms there. So yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff to give away, a lot of questions. So let's get to it. Giddy up. He says, Flecktarn, why is it so awesome? So that's just a comment. He's he's just making a comment there. You guys do you guys agree? Do you like the Flectarn?
2: I like Flectarn. It's all right. I think I think it's a little overrated as far as camo patterns. It might be controversial in that opinion because I I dabble in a lot more weird stuff, I guess. It's pretty common. It's still the current issue German uniform, obviously. Um, it works in a lot of environments, but there's also in a lot of environments where it doesn't work in. And that's, that's, so there's, there's a desert variant as well. Um, so, you know, I kind of have to take points off for that, but uh, it's a, it's a pretty
4: cool pattern it derives from P dot,
2: you know, which is a second world war pattern.
4: I guess the uh, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. That's there you how go. I'm
2: going to. Yes, that's a big deal with with yeah, it's a big, big thing.
1: Subjective kind of deal.
2: Subjective, yeah.
1: And what in what it's environment would it be ideal to use the Fleck Tarn?
2: Oh, it's it's basically designed for like the black forest of Germany, right? It's it's designed for forest. If you try to wear it in any scrubland or whatever, you might have a much harder time because it's just so green, It's just like heavy, heavy, heavy green right? Yeah. Um, the way it, it turns out. And, uh, there's, there's like this, these little orange bits all over fleck tarn, which give it, which make it really good for like with any dead vegetation, but not too much dead vegetation, if you know what I mean. So again, any like brushland doesn't, it wouldn't work as well in desert. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're just a sore thumb. You're a bobbing tree basically if you're in the desert. So, um, yeah, gotcha. it's it's very specific for like a very temperate forest.
1: Next question, Snugly Spetsnaz04, I can already tell this is going to be a great episode. Fire, fire. It is. It, it has been a great episode. John Adams third. why did Tiger Strike never catch on in the U.S. military other than in small SOG units? It seems to break up outlines much better than other types of camouflage. Looking forward to this one. Love the history behind camouflage and surplus.
4: In the jungle, it works, but uh, U.S. since nineteen seventy five, uh, maybe some well occasional excursions into Panama and south of the border, didn't really fought a major campaigns in the jungle environment.
2: Yeah, maybe and the reason
4: why...
2: yeah the reason why in Vietnam that tiger stripe wasn't just given to everybody because it was a holy jungle war, but some guys were given ERDL and most guys were given OD. You know, one oh seven, right? The reason why, again, technology—it did not get like the looms and stuff being used for a lot of like even uniform production were nineteen hundred vintages, right? They're like seventy year old vintage machines. um It was just a lot more cost effective to outfit guys that were largely, as a result of like McNamara's policies during Nam, um, conscripts, right? Ultimately they're draftees like just give them Odie green so money money (laughs) tech that plays a big part in it uh but you know tiger stripe still is occasionally used i know by like um u.s special forces uh uh, particularly when they're doing op for and stuff you know non non uh, non like directly operational things but like training and stuff it's still used at times so it hasn't died and it's still got some utility but it just doesn't work everywhere and at, at the time when they could have issued it to everybody, it would have been too cost
4: prohibitive.
1: Marco, you got any? You you said yours is jungle. It was effective. For no, the-
4: no, I was just saying. Yeah, the the probably main reason why it didn't get widely spread is because the very specific. Again, again, yeah. uh, you know, you have to realize what lies in adopting the camel one particular pattern or the other. I mean, you're talking about the major militaries, not some um, like a, a banana republics yeah, or smaller countries that has maybe uh, 20,000 total troops. We're yeah. talking about like a U.S. military, a Russian military, or uh, maybe even German military. I'm not sure how large they are, but, you know, to to adopt a particular pattern of uh, of camo it's like you have to re- redress the entire military, like 1.2 million or 2 million yeah. troops. And uh, and then you have, especially in the US, you have uh, different type of forces. So you got your Air Force, Navy, you know, and so on and so on. And now you got the Space Force. They probably need neon green uh, camo uh, to blend I, in. And, they wear uh, uh,
1: Jedi robes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: But you know what I'm saying? So now, yeah. I mean, the smaller mission specific units, such as like special forces, like uh some of the Rangers, some Marine recon. Green berets. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, they would m- have a requirements for different type of patterns that could be uh, issued to them. But again, it's not like officially adopted military pattern. It would be like the. Per- permitted or mission specific provided that kind of stuff it'd be like a
1: piece of kit it's like i need this camo for this operation because we're going to be specifically in this type of environment kind of right
4: it would be weird someone who operates let's say uh, on the periphery of uh, tucson arizona to wear a tiger striped ammo yeah yeah at the same time it would be uh also not um you know advisable for somebody to wear a desert camo somewhere in the upper peninsula of michigan yeah or in the snow or in canada
1: so all right i think we've thoroughly answered that one mustang perry what is the best way to tell what camo you need for the environment you are in
4: for what reason what are you you trying to do Yeah, you
2: yeah. Some are you are you yeah, are you just are you really trying to are you trying to hunt or are you trying to like you know is it wartime? That's a that's a big part of it, right? Because there's a reason why like no military has ever utilized like Mossy Oak, right? No, no, no shade thrown at Mossy Oak, but like it's it's specific purpose built for something that's not wartime, and there's a reason why like it's a little weird i mean people do it but like to go out and like full cry precision multicam and go hunting for a buck like it's just or pheasant or something i mean i've done it before but it is it is a little weird right <laughs> people people look at me when i go out and i'm wearing like multicam like and i've got blaze orange on and i'm hunting pheasant and they're like huh you know it is a little odd right like it's just it is the big yeah
4: but, but that question was, leads to another question. Why you're not camoing right, it, for humans, it, you're
1: camoing for, for animals that are colorblind yeah. for the most part, but yeah. if,
4: if, if that question was more of a knowledge type of trying to obtain some knowledge, then, uh, what you gotta do is basically, uh, I don't know if you have like endless supply of different type of uniforms and stuff and different patterns, or. You ask him because you can go in like a, a bass pro shop or Cabela's and stuff and like choose the between real oak or whatever it's called. Real, I think real this the, his and, question
1: just deals tree, with yeah. what we've already talked about is like, you know, it depends on where you are and what you're yep. doing as to what camo that you're going to.
4: The best way to do it right. is like uh, go to your backyard somewhere or whatever where you're up to your sort of like a, a prevalent environment in your area and take a picture just take a picture right uh-huh. and your phone yeah. or whatever and uh and then and then dissect that picture and see what prevalent colors they are like is there more green or more dark shaded areas or yeah I like that yeah that's a good or, suggestion um, right. you know that kind so of Bailey and then, and then Bailey Muller
1: gives a, a suggestion here to to his question he says check out Brent zero three, three, one on YouTube.
2: Yes. Yes. I've worked with him before. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a friend down in Texas. Um, he's, he does great videos and all he does through his videos is he puts on a camouflage pattern and he walks in like the springtime in Texas and then the winter in Texas. Right. So he does like two videos, typically like dead vegetation versus live vegetation. He wears the camo you judge for yourself, right? Some of them really are cool camos, but they're terrible. Like you can see him, some of them, he's invisible and then, yeah. you know, it's up to you to make your decision from, from there. But yeah, he, it's very unbiased. He just, he cams up his face. According so he's to legit. The environment. He's so yeah. so Brent
1: 0331 yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. You guys can go check that out. And, uh, uh, Hank has qualified him. So very cool. Glotru does the East German rain slash, strict tarn camo have utility aside from looking cool
2: no i mean it's no i'm I'm sorry i (laughs) (laughs) i i I own like a lot of sets of it i think it's pretty cool i showed it on screen earlier but yeah i i think it was literally like the east german thing where they're like we don't we're we're basically a soviet satellite but we don't want to look like a soviet satellite so let's change up our uniforms ever so slightly and they put little rice flecks on it right and i i don't know it, it's and you see like uh, in the, the other picture i showed where the guys are actually wearing it in combat um they're augmenting it with like foliage and vegetation and that's what's giving them camouflage not the strict muster. mustard because the east germans never fought a war right the east germans never actually had to field it in combat they would have done fairly well probably but they, they, they didn't
4: they did 1967 in Czechoslovakia where oh. the Warsaw Pact rolled in.
2: <laughs> okay, I wasn't I wasn't aware they're in Czech, but um Yeah, everybody yeah, everybody
4: did. Poles and you know wow. okay. everybody worked in. I don't know okay. if there was any kind of uh, intense fighting or anything, but yeah, I wasn't they, used... they didn't but...
2: fight like yeah, they didn't fight like a conventional war, and they didn't fight like even like a counterinsurgency war in the way that you know the South Africans, Rhodesians or Portuguese did so yeah, I, uh, it's ne- it never got truly fielded. And as a result, like, I mean, the East German webbing is pretty awful. Like, the whole webbing system doesn't make sense. The Soviets had much better stuff, in my professional, unprofessional yeah, it's all, opinion.
4: Yeah, all rubberized. Yeah, it's all
2: rubberized and weird, and everything connects to everything else. So, if one thing comes off, the whole thing falls apart. And just, yeah, it's it it's, looks cool, though. It looks cool. You can't deny that, but... It's not okay. very functional.
1: All right. I think we answered that. Next question. Uh, flood munitions. How crucial is it to utilize face paint camo to break up the pattern? Again? So for flesh, basically saying how how important is it to camouflage your flesh also, you know, with paints? Mm,
4: you know, you see all these movies, the Hollywood movies where they take all this cam on completely cover your face the big the biggest thing is your flesh color does exist in 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 the uh in nature I mean you if you can break it up like for example uh, Soviet Marines love to do just a black diagonal striping on their face which mm-hmm. would work perfectly fine because if you look at it you would expect to see some features like nose ears eyes or whatever and when it's broken up and with some different pattern, you, you don't you don't accept it as what you it's were anticipating not
1: easily recognizable, right?
4: Yeah. All that green nonsense that they show in the TV, but but his question
1: are, is, how crucial is it? I mean, non
4: crucial, not. So you of it don't have normal.
1: to. You don't have to camouflage your face.
4: You don't have to camouflage your face. It naturally that kind of color, naturally exists. And then but again, you... what, what do you need to camouflage this for? When you walk in the in, a, in a patrol or something, and so you're less uh, uh, distinguished as a white guy? Or, I mean, what? I mean, if you're sitting somewhere, if you're tracking someone, if you're sitting somewhere in a concealed area, right? You Your veil, the face veil will do it, a little mesh. You're, um, in Afghanistan, we often the regular cheese clothes in like a gypsum like you would get you know when you use to um, put the bandages on or whatever the the casts on for soldiers right so you you kind of use the gypsum so it becomes like white and kind of thick with the with the little gypsum on it so you put it over yourself over your head and you pretty much indistinguishable between the sandy or kind of light colored the mountain rocky kind of yeah. environment so so it's to, not do, crucial it's not crucial it's at not all. not crucial
1: okay but it is smart to break up the pattern i would i would think
2: on uh, the, on marco's note um i've got i've got just two quick pictures here on his identity completely supporting his point so this is a picture of kus Stadler, um an sad south african guy recce operator you see his face is actually darkened with basically like shoe polish and sometimes they use coffee grinds and burnt tire which is kind of gross but this it's looks because like he's like he's yeah, dirty he just, yeah Crazy. he just looks like he's dirty yeah. um and the reason why it was to give him the appearance that he was actually like a black african because he often you know their missions is the Rhodesian special force missions often saw them like walking into enemy bases and stuff. And obviously if you're a white guy, you stick out like a, uh, a sore a thumb. Sore so thumb, yeah. occasionally yeah. there was a need, but more common, um,
1: stick out like j Lo's.
2: Rea- this is the reality of, of, of what you really need for camo. This is a, uh, this is auto walk in the same unit at the same time frame uh, rocking an AK actually,
4: um that's his idea of camo is that his like, gay
1: gay pride camo is... <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i
2: mean
4: so he's just I doing mean, a river crossing. Do a camouflage speedos so yeah <laughs> so
2: um you can see like if he was to wear face paint and do this river crossing he'd be it, it, like there'd be no point because it'd wash off right so um well they make obviously waterproof. he's just yeah he's waterproof. got his he's got his ammo He's got his rifle. He's not there to hide. And that's, that's the point of that. So like, it's all situationally dependent uh, as far as goes.
1: Also, you know, and we didn't really talk about um, thermal camo or, you know, anything like that, but, you know, putting mud on your body to lower your body temperature, you know, kind of helps defeat.
4: It's a, it's a Hollywood myth. That that's Hollywood. Hollywood yeah that's Hollywood myth. as soon no. as your body releases the heat to warm up that mud right well it's not going to last mud will be will be just as di- you know yep. distinct you know yeah. blowing in same the same thing what they say
1: about add you know extra blankets over you too eventually those are going to heat up you know right. too
4: what you do is you got to have uh the now they're using this uh there's a good video actually that was filmed with uh night vision where this Russian soldier came up right I mean within 10 feet of a, of a Ukrainian century um, and just jumped on him with the knife and stabbed him and stuff but the he used one of this uh, new developed covers basically what you need to do is to combat the uh, thermal is very simple because you got to have some kind of um, a fabric right the camel fabric that is away from your body, like picture umbrella, okay? Mm -hmm. But umbrella is no good because it's got the metal carcass and stuff that transmits the heat. But picture umbrella, right? And then you would bring that umbrella in front of you because so there's an air and the body is not heating up the fabric and umbrella. So your thermal, if it's positioned right in front, will not pick up your body heat. So if you make something that is, let's say, I mean, the, the technology exists already. It's being used right now as we speak. Oh, absolutely, but, yeah. But I'm just saying it's based on basically um, not contacting with the body to absorb the body heat.
1: Gotcha. So All right, just, next question just, is... I'll
2: show dirty guys. I'll just show more you? South African dirty guys. That's what the nah, picture we, was.
1: Yeah, so we get, get, that. Get, yeah. get that. Ryan Reisner, along the the same... As Flood's question, there his is a reference to your your firearm and your kit. What's the importance of not having or having your firearm or kit camouflage or painted to the environment you're trying to blend into? What's the,
4: what's the advantages or disadvantages? Well,
1: they're they're just is, again just like the face painting. Is it crucial? You know, is it is it something that you should consider camouflage well, your your firearm or your it, kit
4: it, again it depends okay two things first it depends how close you want to get to the uh whatever your objective right uh whether it's a it's going to be an assault on a stronghold or it's a ambush and stuff and it, usually those things they happen um uh, hundreds of uh you know meters away from the you know once you start firing obviously all your camera and concealment is gone. So if it is close thing where you have to take out the sentry and stuff and and with some, uh, you know you better use either, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. You better use a knife or or suppressed or silenced uh, uh, type of weapon. Yeah. Which you would not you know make noise and stuff and and at this point uh, maybe there's a advantage but then again i mean who stands a guard or sentry post surrounded by bushes let's say you most likely will be in some kind of semi-fortified area in the open so you can see all around you and stuff what you actually garden against but then uh, i think they're
1: talking more along the lines of you know, if you're out in the field and, you know, you're not standing, you're not a sitting target kind of deal, more like a, a sniper, you know, a sniper and a sniper hide, you know, kind of deal, you know, you, you see them with their I, scopes I, and optics, you know, and everything. They try to conceal those and cover my, those.
2: My thought is like, it just goes back to something I said earlier. There's no straight lines in nature. And anytime you have an opportunity to break up as what's a, some sort of a straight line. Or the circle, um, uh, d- cir- yeah. Cir- there's no perfect circles and there's no shape. straight lines. Yeah. If you can just do something, whether that's just as Marco said, just being in the right like place, the right spot, you know, actually being concealed, right. um, or you know, if that involves you painting something or throwing a some sort of a netting or a mesh or gilly or some some sort of material over your sure. uh, weapon Next system, or your gear, yeah.
5: Yeah, I think we
1: answered that thoroughly. Bonafide breed. Which present or historical military camouflage pattern was the best looking and/or functionally effective? I think you could go two different ways. So I would say, what's the most effective, in your opinions?
4: White snow. Yeah. <laughs> White. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a that's
2: a that's a that's that's a very good one. But I gotta I gave props to Rubies and brushstroke. Still works and. Still pushing So many way? environments. It works in so many environments that I really like. It doesn't work everywhere, but yeah. it's so, so on the on lines
1: of like best looking. It's like I'm just gonna wear this out in public.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, your, I wear this in public. I wear this in public. Just saying, time, what so. what would
1: your what would your favorite be to just wear out in public? use
2: but I I would wear Rhodesian brush I mean, I do. So
4: I'm biased though, but, like, Yeah. What's in public? in yeah, public, just to wear, yeah,
1: just to wear, just to rock every day
4: jeans and the plaid shirt with baseball and a plaid
1: yeah. shirt basically <laughs> saying channel.
4: don't shoot me first yeah,
1: yeah. my uh predators jersey there you uh, go. i like multi cam you know i like no multi cam is yeah, yeah. cryptic i like cryptic um i've got hats and shirts that I uh, you know just wear that have cryptic shit on it uh gerald link what is the best source to look up camo patterns? What is the one thing that was always missing? How much was the average replacement cost for the uniform per soldier? And that's going to be different times in history. So just the first two there. The Best source? I mean that camo uh, website. Camo, that camopedia.
2: Yeah, camopedia is the best. There's also they have a like a forum. It's called the International army camouflage, military collectors or whatever. You'll find it on Camelpedia, but they actually have a forum there um, where a lot of people post their collections and stuff. And there's some very, very um, – it's, it's just an incredible like source, like wellspring of knowledge as far as camo goes. So you really can't be Camopedia. Uh, okay. What was that second question?
4: It's kind of a weird.
1: Um, I was going to say, Marco, did you have a thing on the source for camo Patterns?
4: Um, there There's was like a camelpedia, is a good uh good source. There was um uh, one time there was um, and I forgot that name that uh website, but years ago somebody did a book on uh, Soviet patterns, okay. And I forgot oh. uh, where oh, yeah, anyway, well. if if you are just be a sleuth and and you know do the research on uh, on the uh, interwebs. You'll find all kinds of information. Now, I as think far the as
1: pattern.com or whatever wiki would be a good place to start. And then once you find that pattern, then like Marco's saying, then be a sleuth and find out more about that specific pattern.
2: I should uh I should quickly mention Richard Johnson's Tiger Stripes, Tiger Stripe Patterns. Like that's the definitive book on any tiger stripe pattern. Um just crazy, crazy, crazy amount of detail on there. Richard, Richard Dennis Johnson. You can find it on Amazon. Okay. So cool. yeah, if you ever, cause there's so many variants of tiger stripe, he's the, he's the best possible source, at least for tiger stripe.
1: Okay. Uh, and then his second part was, what is the one thing that was always missing? I guess maybe, you know, all the cam, camel patterns is, are they, what are they, what are they overlooking? What are they missing? Not really, nothing.
2: They all have their own uses, right? So I don't know. Yeah, they're they, all covering. They cover, kind of cover of so much.
1: Use and area and environment specific. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. Is anything is you know when Camel started, it it's improved. You know, there's always something that they see that they could have done or should have done better, and then they do. And that's where we get the the Camel that we have today. Um, he other question was how much was the average replacement cost for a uniform per soldier? I, I don't know. That's right. a
4: uh, classifying information. I'm thinking. Yes. I think it was
2: like when I was in the military, it was like I think the fine was like four hundred, three hundred to four hundred bucks. I don't know. That's like that's like if you like straight up like lost something, so it wasn't like stolen. So like, yeah. It's like a few hundred bucks, I guess. I don't know what it is in the U.S. I know in Canada, like a few hundred. Russia, bucks.
1: it's a it's a bullet to the hand.
4: <laughs> no, it's not. It's uh, <laughs> like some kind of duty. Yeah, they, they you just get issued the new one. That's all. Pil-p- pil-p- yeah, yeah, you get, you get. So here's issued. the book.
1: Uh, camouflage uniforms of the Soviet Union by
2: Dennis Desmond.
1: Dennis Desmond. Yeah. Okay. So there's you another resource there lead heads
4: um... i'm pretty sure you'll find it on the amazon but it's pretty comprehensive uh, now you gotta realize that this book was published like probably 15 years ago
2: yeah yeah same with the dennis or dennis johnson book
4: if you same. want just a, a great book uh
1: on the history of the ak-47 the ultimate reference Is Marco's book, which is the AK 47 survival and evolution of the world's most prolific gun. We know you can get that on Amazon. it's not sold out, they they sell out of it quite frankly. They do
4: it in the sixth printing.
1: But my royalty,
4: my royalty checks don't
1: don't reflect that. Marco is still not getting paid for that. Uh, So uh, when you buy that book, put a complaint in the comments that Marco should get his cut. Uh, when you go and review and rate it what are you holding up a, a nade <laughs> you got a nade is that where all i think like,
4: about my book
1: it's like this is the complaint department take a ticket Yep. you get the pit that's funny um all right next question tongue for twisting with so many camo making companies what twist makes your stand out alone from the others um
2: i suppose that's addressed to me
1: um i mean you're not making your own camo you're just
2: well i yeah i'm producing i'm resurrecting camos i guess i'm reproducing camos um yeah that's that's the catch i guess i'm reproducing dead camos that haven't been in print in like 50 years so i think that's kind of cool i hope that's kind of cool
1: yeah bringing them Uh, back
2: yeah i'm bringing them back to life and bringing things that that otherwise uh, would be completely forgotten about, but still have a lot of utility like this revision brushstroke. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, that's something we, uh, we're specifically concentrating on you know, military camo this episode, but I mean, there are so many camo companies out there, but they're more for style urban type, yeah. you know, just, just every day. They have no purpose other than looking fashionable, I guess, trying to be fashionable. Um. Bonafide breed. Are companies like Realtree and Mossy Oak up to par with military standards when it comes to camouflage? Why or why not? Uh, I would say for the most part, no, because they are their specific use and their specific use for hunting. And there's different game that you use their different patterns for. So duck hunting versus deer hunting versus, you know, whatever it may be.
2: Yeah, it's, it's apples and oranges, really.
1: B. Hurst, isn't it base color, then debris for your surroundings? I guess he's talking about when you're making a camo, is the base color the main and then the debris from your surroundings the second part of it?
4: You know, I mean, if I may.
1: Yes, Please.
4: Uh, all these questions about the surroundings, what's the best camo, and um, if you would have like some kind of mesh, right, like a, let's say a gill net, Yeah. right, uh, Tell you that that. is kind of like a, you know, I mean, just a small section, like an inch pattern gill net, fishing net, or mm-hmm. like an old potato socks that see through and you can make something that you can put over your head or your shoulders just have some strings tied to it and go to the area of your operation where you're going to operate and just tie things to it like pieces of grass or tie twigs to it some small little branches with leaves on them tie it to it and this is your best concealment that you're gonna you you would ever gonna have so you don't need to wear some kind of patterned uniform but if you're just concealing yourself, you can make that type of like a cape, let's say, right, to put all over yourself—a cloak, a cloak, like, right? Yeah. right, of an invisibility. Because it's because you're gonna use the the grass, the the little flowers, the 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 twigs, the yeah. branches from the environment where you're operating. You're gonna naturally blend in.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah. That's... Your environment is ultimately your best camouflage. But yeah i get that i, mean, I, think, even, I think what he's asking Lewis, is that
1: these these camel companies are is that their formula is that you take your desert you know for the main base color and then you and then they go in and then they start building the pattern around the other stuff there maybe that's i what think this camel
4: companies right yeah they're to sell you stuff
1: <laughs> well a lot yes. of them yeah. yes like,
4: <laughs> that's their main purpose we and are, when they, <laughs> and when they make yeah. the real tree or mossy oak, yeah, um, pattern camo, is because it looks like ai a, want to sell the, you a car seat. <laughs> car yeah. seat cover. It, it looks like the the woods that you go uh, in your November once the gun season is opened up. Yeah. You know, and that's all it is. I mean, it's not there for you to sneak up on the on the sentry or or. Go past the patrol or something like that. You know what I'm saying? All these camel companies are selling you a candy, a wrapper. By the way, do you know who invented candy wrappers? Willy Wonka. Uh, good, good entry, but no. Okay. Hank, come on. I know you. You good? I, I,
2: you know, I don't know enough about candy production. French
1: did the French?
4: It must I don't know. Edison.
1: Thomas
5: oh. Edison.
4: Oh, Thomas okay. Edison. He loved the you. chocolate, but he worked a lot and he would put the chocolate in his pockets and obviously it would melt and it would make a mess. So he starts because he using a lot he used to make a lot of transformers, right? They use the wax paper. Uh-huh. So he start wrapping those chocolate pieces into wax paper and putting them in his pocket there you go them
1: more useless information from there you <laughs> go just, yeah, i'm just kidding that was interesting <laughs> i did not know that me neither lights out oaky coyotes um i know camos merely to break up outline um however with certain camo patterns shows just because they look cool we already had that question or to be different how do they make certain military clothing semi-invisible to thermal imaging that's a secret i guess
4: no, I was just but saying that all the new technology, like the, the claw, uh, there's no uniforms that is uh, partially invisible to thermal. The uniform is on your body, and your body will give out heat and it will warm up the uniform. And so, obviously, by proxy, so to speak, it, it will shine. But the new technologies now exist where not necessarily uniform but something that is you carry with you is in a roll, and you can unroll it and then cover yourself with sort of like a clock or a cape or something that is using a technology where the actual it. out outside layer is separated from your body does not conduct or absorb the body heat and uh you know but okay. at the same time so people think the thermal might be the, the 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 thing, you know, that you know you know you know at the same time, you also still visible to a regular um, you know night vision scopes or or implements. So, you know, it's not gonna the thermal anti-thermal thing is not gonna make you invisible to, you know, thing, but it it will be, it will make you invisible to a thermal devices like scopes and whatnot and knocks him.
2: Is Lefty frozen? I think, I think he froze. I, I think he froze. I hope he's still recording this. Uh, I think he's frozen. Uh-oh. I hope we didn't lose him. I oh, no, he, we, we lost him. Here. We lost him. We're still recording, though, so we'll, we'll keep going, I guess. Uh, one sec. You... I'll see if I can just pull up the questions. I'll just, if he's he's off. So let's see. I'll just keep rattling off the question. Oh, here's a good one. Um, What are some other means being camouflaged other than uh, attire? Could you delve into common tactics used to stay hidden? Whether that would be you move through urban woods, plains or whatever environment, what have you, or other pieces of equipment that you would need to stay hidden, like thermals, how to evade them or the best routes when navigating terrain. Thanks. Looking forward to the podcast. That's from pillow pants. So I'll, you can take it away there Marco I'm sure you know a lot about that
4: <laughs> uh uh thank you for word of confidence Hank but uh all right so uh again everything you do is like a stick of two ends right so uh if uh, if you somebody if you watching somebody that somebody's watching you right so you have to be acutely aware of the in, environment you operate. Like, for example, I mean, the probably the the worst in my in, environment would be like the counterinsurgency um, uh, operations in like mountainous area, like let's say Afghanistan, right? Yeah. Because the hills have eyes and they usually above you so they can see further into the basic means of communications like uh you know walkie-talkies and stuff as soon as you leave the wire they already know that you're traveling on this road and in a particular direction so that's one thing in in uh, like European theater you know you got the brush you got uh, the green zones we call them where early in a podcast I was talking about the concept of a screen right you build a screen So let's say you move in to your objective, but uh, there's enemy activity beyond the trees. Obviously, you want to be not so much deep in the trees where you don't know what the enemy is doing, you cannot observe them. But you also want to have a thick enough screen where your movement will be concealed. And in that case, the actually camel patterns or like, a let's say a green type of clothing like od green or something or or camouflage uniforms would play a good role an uh, essential role but basically you gotta create enough um a screen between you and the enemy that potentially can see you and your movement have to be a deliberate one in some cases you move really slow so you don't attract that uh, human eye reaction to a movement or in some cases you, you you actually gotta be as fast as possible. Let's say crossing uh crossing the, the the forest road, you know, the like a logging road or something. You have to be really fast. You can't walk yeah. slowly, like you know, marching band steps or whatever across it. You have to be as fast as possible, relying on your you know, luck pretty much, whether or not you get spotted. But um, yeah, just if you can be acutely aware of your environment where you are and create some kind of screen between you and uh and the hostile force and and use it like uh you know like a like give you an example the cartoons where one like let's say uh Jerry chases I mean uh, Tom chases Jerry right around something I, you know, you know. Another good, good example is a squirrel. If you ever walk up on a squirrel and the squirrel, squirrel run ups the tree, run up the tree, it doesn't run up far. It just goes on the other side. And as you move, it mo- moves opposite yeah. of you. You know what I mean? So it's using its environment to conceal itself from you. So kind of the same way. So. But it's, it's hard to tell what you got to do, <laughs> do. Because there's so many environments, deserts, yep. you know, wooded area, prairie, you know, steeps, steps or whatever you call them. And, you know, but what you want to do is you, you want to have a barrier of some sort between you and your enemy, but it need, doesn't need to be a wall, because you have to observe observe back and and move and react to the enemy movements as well. I, I don't know if it answers the question, but I
2: I think that answers a great like, like having the having screen. So yeah. Um it's so I just got a text from Lefty says he's rebooting the net right now. He lost internet. So uh let's well, see hopefully here.
4: he joins us again. But yes. Uh, what's the World next and we'll just keep going I guess.
2: Yeah we can just keep going on questions because it says we're still recording so it's still recording here hopefully um with okay here's a here's a really good one okay um i i have some thoughts on this and i know you'll have some thoughts on this too from slug nutty with low light no light thermal multi-frequency radar now used in human detection is camouflage just window dressing for humans to look cool to each other very well worded question too very good very good Uh, question
4: yeah down to earth kind of question yeah yeah as a matter of fact I mean you look now I mean you can find all these videos and stuff of that the in Ukraine and you'll see on both sides of people um you know not really wearing uh any particular well a lot of uh, uh multi-cam but also uh just a green or green or beige type of stuff so they don't or brown so they don't uh, really uh care anymore because use of thermal and the night vision and modern uh, uh detection equipment is just uh very very widely spread so camel is becoming like yeah i'm you uh, know yeah, yeah. Just a, a, a look at my definitely jacket.
2: Yeah, and it, in a conventional setting, like the drone, uh the you know, the drone is gonna see you regardless of what you're wearing, generally speaking. Yep, um, yeah. It um, it's just just the way modern warfare is. Uh okay. So
4: oh, okay. Oh, there, there we go. go. Okay, I'm back. There we go. There we go.
2: Oh, okay. Jesus! Holy crap. Okay. Um, I hope Internet
4: what did you do? It it was scary. It was scary. scary. I don't know why.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, you're all on your own.
4: All right. Oh my gosh.
2: So the question the question What's we here? were at that you missed. Where were we? Uh,
4: the the window dressing.
2: Window dressing with no with low light, no light, thermal, multi-frequency radar now used in human detection. Is camouflage just window dressing for humans to look cool for each other? And Marco basically said yes i agreed with him it it really like just the amount of like drone footage i've seen out of even like like um uh gaza right now with the israelis and they have all kinds of stuff to break up their silhouette even though they're still wearing ods like just drones are like drones will see you a lot like just the overhead view is something to really really consider now um and of course, like thermals, radar, low light, no light stuff. Like, yeah, camouflage is, still works in certain settings, um, operationally when you're fighting guys that do not have nods that are very primitive. Um, it wor- certainly worked back in the day, uh, but that's the utility of it is uh, less and less important. So, that's what we, we kind of were talking about from Slug Nutty. Okay. That question.
1: Slug nutty. Okay, you're all. Did you do all the ones before that?
2: We did. Uh, it
1: depends on what yours
2: is. Is sorted. yeah, it's a different. It's in a different order. So I'll read you the last. One. We did the one from. um
1: Let me just do this. I'll go down mine, and you tell me if you did it or not. Yeah. Uh. So I think we left on the, uh, which present or historical military camouflage pattern was the best looking and or functionally effective. I think we did. Oh. That. Okay.
2: Uh, the the only other one we did was from Pillow Pants. What are some other mean other means being camouflaged other than attire? That one. So we did that one as well.
1: Okay. So uh, Old Tennessean, M81 beats all other camos in green environments. I'm also a fan of the M95 Czech and the Greek Lizard. In today's warfare, are camo patterns still important or is it just more of an identity?
4: And we answered that.
1: Okay. you did that one. Bonafide Breed, our company's like We did that one. Bailey Miller. Let,
4: let, 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 let me just time to that one is uh you know in today's battlefield the camo is sure uh yes it's still important because not everyone will have the uh um thermal or night vision not everyone will be able to maintain the batteries and stuff I mean if you look at some of the footage in the in the um, in Ukraine right where you got pretty much like a rat holes in there and then uh you know the you're being assaulted all the time with the artillery and everything you know not every one of those troopers soldiers on either side will have to, the the thermals so the camera is very important especially if you are in a stronghold position somewhere surrounded by trees or whatever you want to you know you want to conceal yourself right sure. and like I said the, though that technology is in the battlefield it's not widely spread I mean good example I'll give you is that um remember 2001 our troops went in into Afghanistan and every one of them had a freaking night vision goggles everyone but that advanced group of troops you go at them and you look at the news three months later because so nobody's got them you know what I'm saying so mm-hmm. it's kind of it falls into the same realm um you know how prevalent is like everybody's got a five thousand dollar thermal at their disposal only one person or gets killed just the thing is destroyed, you still got to complete the mission, that kind of stuff. So, sure. yeah, camels are still important. Okay.
1: Uh, Bailey Muller 80, and you may have read this one too. Let's hear everyone's favorite com block post Soviet camel patterns. Do you guys do that one?
2: No, no, we haven't done that.
1: Okay. My personal favorite is the KLMK or silver leaf pattern being in the PNW, but honorable mentions to TTSKO. Dubok, and the Kazakh chocolate chip patterns. The all person. I heard was
4: all I heard, all I heard was KLMK, and the rest and Dubok and everything else was just beyond. What is years. your favorite
1: com block post Soviet camo pattern?
4: No um, block uh, is oxymoron. It's contradiction and I turn. think he's asking
1: both. What's your what's your oh, favorite comblock block and then post Soviet? Yeah.
4: Com block i'm sitting in uh, you like but, that one well absolutely and again summer spring uh the the winter is white obviously and uh, but it's not for everyday use it's only when you go out you know you leave the wire so to speak and the uh post-soviet is their new digital camo and now the most of the guys in the front line using the Multicam.
1: Okay.
2: I oh. like um I like okay. SS Latao. I wonder if I can pull this up share screen. You I like don't Chuck know this There we go. That's that's the one I like. This is the if it's like post Soviet hey. era. Is um, so it like one
1: Chuck Liddell? Is that what I heard? Hmm.
2: Well, Chuck Liddell is pretty cool. But anyways, this is it. Uh, okay. It's called Partizan or Essence Latau. Um, there's variants of it, but basically that's it. That's 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 my pick.
1: All right. Huh. I like the one I'm wearing.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice.
1: Uh, let's see. Lights out, Oki Cowdies. I know Camo's merely oh, okay. We read that one already. Gerald Link, what is the best source to look up? We read that. Mine got rearranged somehow. Yeah. <clears throat> uh ton for twister why so many camo making companies what twist okay we did that one B. hearst hard fighting hiding from new technologies okay B. hearst 87 hard fight hiding from new technologies but the grass man with twigs in the woodlands or trash man urban style with a beer can can i think he's making a statement there i hope it's one of the AK, 22 AKs for ammo's sake. I showed it to my boys and they got, they both want one. I think he's talking about for a giveaway for next episode. And we're going to talk about that coming up here. Uh, Sister Fist, interested in your thoughts about what countries utilize the best overall do everything pattern, past, present, or future. It's not really a do all everything pattern. Well, maybe pattern, but then they even the patterns, I mean depends on where you're at, whether it's gonna be effective or not. I guess I guess a better way to phrase that is if you if you could only have one camo pattern to carry with you everywhere, which would it be? Multicam. Multicam.
2: I'm biased, but rookies and breaststroke.
1: Okay. I, I would go with the multicam. Slug Nutty, and you you read his with low light, no light, thermal. You read that one already? Yep, we read that yep, one. Yeah, yep, okay. That,
2: one. that was a very good question. Yeah, I thought that it was a very, very good question. So, what's, what's
4: the nickname? What's the nickname? Slug, slug, slug Nutty.
2: Slug
1: Nutty. Yeah,
4: okay.
1: Corey Brown, MK MKTMF4N. So, what's better, micro camo or macro camo? According to Garand thumb fitness is key. How much distance can you put between the enemy and you? After watching the devastating effects of drones in Ukraine, I've come to the conclusion that 90% of the population is (laughs) fucked. Okay. So let's just go with the first part of that. Which is better, micro or macro camo?
2: i i think um there's a tendency towards micros right now because of Cadpat and marpat right everything has gone to kind of smaller shapes um but uh i I don't know like i feel like there's still a great utility in certain environments for a bigger pattern like rhodesian brush obviously like this is a huge shape right compared to the little blobs of multicam so um it really depends, like, again, what you're doing. I can't really, I can't really, like, argue. can't
1: say or one's better do. than the other, I can't other, right?
2: say one is better than the other, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. Marco, same opinion?
4: Can I say- have no opinion on that. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't delve into um, the camera on that level to distinguish between the micro and macro. I'm just, you know. Okay. Whatever works. Like I And you guys that. said you
1: did did pillow pants. What are some other means being camouflaged other than attire? Is you say you did that one? Yep. Uh, could you delve into common tactics used to stay hidden? You you did you did all the pillow pants? Yep. Okay. Yep. So that should that should get us through everybody. I mean, if I missed one, I apologize. Uh, I think we probably pretty much covered everything. Um, anyway, but if we didn't get to your question and you still want an answer, just email me talking We'll make sure uh, we get you an answer. Great questions, guys. This, uh, this go round, great participation. Really appreciate that. Um, let's pick winners real quick. And then we're going to talk about what's coming up in next month's, uh, AK corner. So let's start off with the seal one. Seal One and Done, complete gun cleaning kit. Go to seal one.com, use the code LEADHEAD. You get 25% off any of the products at Seal One. And do you want to do like random number pick? Or you <laughs> is there a question that stands out that you'd like to give this to? And remember, we got all these other giveaways to do too. We got trays. We got $50 from Fire Force Ventures and then the big grand prize
4: i already know since i'm charged with that one
1: you pick I know that who's last. gonna
4: get the, the grand prize
1: okay um
4: the,
1: don't say who did. don't say who did. i'm
4: sorry yeah.
1: no the so we're doing the seal one who gets seal, oh, one? seal one yeah who gets the seal one
4: the the guy that asked about what it, how can you use the uh, tactics of using uh like a concealment or camel while moving or something something fitty pants or something is that is that, the is that one? pillow
2: pants pillow pants pillow, pillow pants. pants yeah
1: okay pillow pants you are the winner of the seal one congratulations and everyone who's picked today as a winner you email me you tell me what you won and obviously we're going to need your address So there you go. Uh, Let's do the uh, $50 from Fire Force, and I'll let you pick, Hank, who who you think is deserving of the $50 coupon to spend at their leisure at your website.
2: Okay. Um, Let's see.
1: And if it's who Marco wants for the PPS, we'll edit it out.
2: <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, let's go with uh, let's the importance of um, having your firearms camouflage to blend into like try to blend into the environment. Like, okay, Ryan Reisner.
1: Ryan Reisner.
2: Yep. Who asked about the firearms? Yeah. You know the Rhodesians were very well known for baby pooping their FNFLs. Baby pooping, just light green blobs all over it. So they did that with AKs too when they, you know, used captured AKs for pseudo operations. So the Rhodesians were very well known for camming up both, uh, you know, uniforms, web gear, and your rifle weapon system. So, okay. I even, uh, just a quick shout out to a friend of mine, Dave Hughes. Um, I know his Eland, uh, which is like a, or sorry, a ferret, like a small scout car. Um, they had on the back of their scout car, like a set of weights, right. So they could k- quickly, you know, get some, get some gym reps in, uh, they, those were even cammed up. Those are baby poops. So, nice. um, yeah, I just, that question made me think of all those things. So, yeah. Okay. Ryan, Ryan Rice Rice
5: here.
1: you are Ryan the winner. Rice. Email me all your info and I will forward it on to Hank. And, uh, well, what do you get? You gave me all the info already, right? Is it like a code or something that they're going to use? It's just a code. Yep, it's just okay. a code. All right, so Ryan, email me, and I will I will forward you that code that you can use for the uh, the $50. And then, of course, all you lead heads can use the code LEADHEAD uh, up until April 15th, is that what we said? And you get 15% off yes. everything at Fire Force uh, Ventures there.
2: Yep, fireforceventures.com.
1: Next giveaway is for the Mission First Tactical... Dump tray, or I use it as my armors tray when I'm cleaning my guns and when I put all my little parts and whatnot in there. Works great. Uh, I use am it every
4: day. day. I use it every day.
1: Yeah, I do too. I just built my first uh, 80% pistol uh, this last week, and I, it came in very handy for those small parts with the pistol parts, putting that together. Um, I'm picking Snuggly Spetsnaz 04. Um because he said, I can already tell this is going to be a great episode. And it just got even better for you snuggly because uh, you get a dump tray. Dump tray in the house. All right. Is that all our normal, our regular prizes? Now we're going to go to the big grand prize. Is this And again, CJ told you guys this is a special limited edition. It's a PPS 43 that uh, is a commemorative. For the Battle of Leningrad. And that
4: was, we celebrated, just celebrated the uh, uh, breakthrough, the siege of Leningrad, 80 years. 80 year 80? anniversary. It happened in January of 1944, after 900 days of a uh, complete seizure. So, so you guys know how close it is to me personally, is my own grandfather died on the Nesky. Pitachok. It's like a a beachhead, uh, one kilometer wide and three kilometers long. 300,000 people is dead there. And one of them is my uh, grandmother, uh, grandfather on my mother's side. Um, And uh, so that is kind of dear and near to me.
1: Yeah. And fitting that uh, you would award this to the lucky. Leadhead that participated in this month's questions. Marco, who's the uh, lucky the,
4: What is it? It's a slu- a slug, sluggy nutty?
1: Slug nutty? <laughs> slug nutty. Slug nutty. You are the winner of this most prestigious PPS 43. Now, you have to be legally able to own a firearm, slug nutty. If you are not legally able to own a firearm, you do not get this. And you will get a runner-up plaque. <laughs> You'll get a dump tray. Um, but email me, talkingled at gmail.com. Obviously, we're going to need your FFL info. I'm going to need driver's license, all that to verify. And we're going to forward all that on to CJ, um, who he will uh, verify, and he'll get with your FFL and and send this. And it comes with a it comes with a certificate also. Um, I believe isn't that what he said? He has a certificate. Yeah. It's got a they special. They only made rating. a few of
4: those. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um. Did you say what is it? Uh, the original caliber or is this the nine millimeter?
4: Uh, I am pretty sure it's in the uh, nine millimeter, but it better clarify with CJ. Okay. Because, uh, you know, not
1: sure on that, but
4: because you know, being the Leningrad, uh, you know. Kind of commemorative. Maybe he tried to do it in the uh, in the original caliber.
1: Yeah, could have been. I don't know why he didn't do this for our next episode, because our next episode is going to be on the PPS 43, but whatever. CJ works in mysterious ways. <laughs> so there you go. And speaking of next episode, next month's episode it is our third episode, and is the one where we were supposed to give away our first firearm but uh, we jumped the gun and we did it this episode. We're going to be giving away another firearm next episode, and it is going to be a custom Pioneer Arms Corps 556 AK. Very similar to the one that you see here. It won't be just like this one. He's going to do some kind of custom something or another to it. I don't know if it'll be an underfolder, if it'll have a stock on it. Um but I do believe it will have a uh, talking lead AK Corner logo with a hand on it. And there's no telling what else he'll have on there. But here's what you have to do to be eligible for that, LED heads, And this is an extreme participation. So between now and the deadline is March 11th. I'm going to give you till March 11th. And I know a lot of our listeners aren't on social media. So, I'm trying to make this um, able for everyone to participate in this. So, you're going to email me, and in the subject, you're going to put um, March, this is February. Yeah, it's going to be March, March AK Corner contest. That needs to go in the subject. March, and you could put AKK for AK Corner, March AKK contest. So in our first episode, we talked about the history of Pioneer Arms Corps, how they got started, the factory that they're in, the Circle 11 factory, all that. And then Michael was on that show, and he gave us some of his family history. His great-grandfather, this is is what you're going to have to answer. Name the unit that Michael's great-grandfather was commander of. What was the name of that unit? And he carried something with him other than a firearm. So we want to know what that was that he carried with him also. So that's part one. Part two is I want to hear from you on a topic or a guest that you want us to cover on an upcoming episode of the AK Corner. So that has to be in there also. And then if you are follow, if you do have a, a social media account, you have to be following us. Talking Lead, Pioneer Arms Corps USA, Mission First Tactical, SEAL One. You have to be following. Uh, and I know we have ways of checking this to find out whether you're following or not. Uh, so three parts. And then that last part. If you don't have an account, make up a fake account, for God's sake. I mean, come on. There, there's ways around this that you can do it. Or borrow one of your your friends or your your wife or your girlfriend's account and use their account to, to follow us. Uh, the whole point is to build our following on social media so we can get past these algorithms that they have. So start liking, start sharing. When I make posts, when Pioneer Arms makes posts, Mission First, Seal One, share those to your pages tag us you have to tag us so that helps so email me between now and march 11th the name of the unit that michael's great-grandfather was the commander of and the weapon that he had other than a firearm that he carried with him um if you put his name in there you get bonus points if you can tell me his name his grandfather's name uh and then Give me a suggestion on a topic or a guest that you would like us to have on an upcoming uh episode of the talking Lead a k corner. And the email is talkingled at gmail.com. T A L K I N G L E A D at Gmail.com. So this is something everyone can participate in. Again, if you don't have the social medias, I'm not going to hold that against you, but if you do, I want to make sure that uh you're you're following us and doing all that. So is that a pretty good, pretty good way to start our first. Official gun giveaway, Marco?
4: Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay. All right. The next one for this for the sixth episode, because every third episode we're going to give away a gun, is going to be even more participation. You're going to have to do something different. And I've already got in mind what I want to do for that, but I'm not going to let you know yet. Uh, so next month's episode, I'm planning on going to Florida, Marco. Are you going to come to Florida?
4: As much as I want to
1: as much as you want to <laughs>
4: i might be going to vietnam what yeah that sounds
1: pretty cool i mean is it is it like for a, a cool thing or
4: well, why are you going uh, to be I, numb? I try to do cool things and stay away from boring things yeah so, uh, cool. so
1: so it's a cool thing so nothing you can talk about no okay sorry right. <laughs> tell me off air uh marco so give us an update on the ammo and the the silencers the suppressors and all that that you've been trying to get going
4: okay so disavowed silencers um we just got our new generation ones which actually have uh back threaded back plate and uh and the front cap so they can be adapted for any uh, muzzle device and uh, thread over uh just about all the popular uh, three prong or whatever muzzle devices and could be used uh, with the uh, swappable back um, cap. You can uh, use it for, um, you know, on the multiple guns. Okay. Uh,
3: multiple calibers?
4: Multiple ca- Well, not multiple calibers per se, but multiple guns. Oh, and yes. we, we still have our uh, 7.62. Uh, we got our new line of um, suppressors that could be used on 7.62 uh, rifles, like yeah. ARs per se. And by replacing the back end of it, you can actually thread on 24 millimeter thread to your uh, modern pattern uh, uh, AK, the 100 series AKs. Okay. Nice. So is there our, a website?
1: Have we got a website yet? That, yes,
4: disavowed. Spell it. Uh, disavowed, like somebody that went rogue. Disavowed agent.
1: Okay. No. Google it. Google it then. Disavowed.com. That's it. Disavowed.com.
4: Uh let's see.
1: Let me see if I can pull it up. D-I-S-S-A-V-O. W. Is it Dow or Dowed? Disavowed. Dowed dot com. Let's see if anything. nothing came up.
4: Uh, I mean, if you just... Here it is. You know, you, you got it?
1: I think so. My internet don't crap on you. I need to hurry up. Nope. There's not a disavowed dot com. does not exist. Okay,
4: I'll, I'll let me go grab one of those. I'll okay. be right back. All right.
1: And while you're doing that, we'll let Hank uh, talk about Fire Force. And uh, if you want to talk about the Canadian company, you can do that too.
2: Sure. Um, So the Canadian company is just me. And basically I design stuff for Fire Force, the cuts of the uniforms. So if you want anything developed custom, look up Canada Camel, camis.ca. However, if you're just looking to buy some of the, camouflage that I've talked about and and a lot of them are still like in the works right now. I'm always, you know, developing new stuff. Uh, But if you want to get yourself some Rovesian brushstroke, uh, some West German Sumpf which we have some Belgian brushstroke, all at www.fireforceventures.com. Some excellent uh, webbing from Nixie works out of Colorado. Uh, Even some like African art that I import right out of Zimbabwe I got to go through a lot of trouble to get that to the United States so Can you get uh,
5: spears yeah, in?
2: I I actually I'm working on that. I'm working on the uh, African Guys. I would uh, love to. Yeah. That's a, that's a very traditional weapon. There's also the curies. Um I'm working on trying to get all that African stuff into uh the United States. It's it's a hell of a process. So, um and a yeah. lot of it actually supports uh, the local families and the artisans there in Zimbabwe and the Limpopo region of South Africa. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So all that's available. Nixie works uh, moving more into some Vietnam stuff this year. Stay tuned for that. I can't really say what just quite yet, but if you want to know more about all of the stuff I'm doing behind the scenes, you can definitely check out our buyers club. If you look at our website, just on the far right hand side, that far right hand tab, it'll give you guidance on how you can join our buyers club uh for only i think it's 20 bucks yeah 20 bucks uh you get to join our private community where we talk all things camo uh all things firearms and military history um on gilded so check it out uh just obviously got to be 18 plus you know and sure cool uh it's a very positive community um do like movie nights and stuff there so yeah, if you're into military history and some of the stuff we sell the stickers patches the uniforms uh reflecting a all kinds of military history units uh definitely check it out www.fireforceventures.com very cool yeah all that art's mine by the way i draw that stuff so oh this patches it's, it's all stuff that i've i've done up yeah for either either reproducing things that are out of print or original stuff
1: gotcha That's cool. All right. There you go. So Marco's back I heard. So it's
4: disavowed. Let's see, right? Wrong.
1: I spelt it right. So tell me. I'll put in disavow suppressor. Let's see if that gives me anything.
4: Oh, silencer.
1: Same thing. Come up. Silencer.
4: Yeah, disavowed group. Group. Disavowedgroup.com. Sorry about that one. Or you can get to us uh, at the uh, app tech and hotmail.com, I believe.
1: All right, I'm going to share share this and let's make sure this is the right one. Share screen, share screen, boom. Is so that this it? Is,
4: let's see. Yeah, there you go. You got it.
1: Okay, disavowedgroup.com, Leadheads.
4: So there's the AK offering and you can tell by the dimples added for that D10 pin. So you can put it on snug.
1: Are you showing me something right now? Because I'm looking at... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I need to switch to you. Okay, go ahead.
4: So here's our sickle model. And this is AK specific for twelve uh twelve millimeter, I guess. Yeah. If you you can see it's got the dimples and stuff to accommodate any AK D10 pin. Yeah. So you can put it on and it's not gonna back out. Um, And then there's uh, the new pattern, the 30 caliber one. And unfortunately, I'm not strong enough that I have a wrench handy to unscrew the... the That's okay. Will these work
1: on, uh, with with the detents, will those work on the adapters, the Pioneer Arms adapters?
4: You don't need one. You don't need the adapter. You just, you screw it. It's a left-handed... Uh, okay. 14 millimeter thread. Okay, so you, you know, just take your
1: existing slant off and you put that on. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And
4: then we have the back. So the other version of it again's got. I don't know if you can tell, but there's a back plate that you know you can screw off and then and then put another one on that's got the 24 uh, millimeter right handed thread on it. Gotcha. So to accommodate both AK threads okay
1: very good so now we we finally got a website
4: and then Pist- we uh yeah. waiting on our first um because they finishing up the testing on them the first nine millimeter cans that uh, weigh 3.9 ounces ah which you don't good. need a piston a direct thread
1: very good and those are coming or they're out
4: no they're coming and we're still waiting on them but uh the um the thing with them is that they also got um, back plate that you can you know take off and then it would accommodate just about any kind of uh, a piston, right. any thread pattern, and or you leave it on knowing what type of thread pattern you can just order the direct thread because it weighs only uh, um, three point nine ounces. Um, it doesn't. Affect the tilting of the barrel and locking of the barrel and so on. So, on, so the gun performs, and they've got
1: all this info on that website. Disavowed, yeah. okay. Yeah. Check it out, Leadheads Disavowed Group.com. Make sure you go to uh, Hank's website, fireforceventures.com.
0: Yep,
1: fireforceventures.com. And you guys are on the Instagrams also. What's your Instagrams,
2: fireforceventures, and on Facebook as well, ventures
1: Very cool. Um, and then, of course, up. Pioneer Arms Corps guys go to pioneerarmscoreusa.com or you can go to pioneer-pack.com for the um the Polish website there they've got some different different things on that website uh, but we still have just a limited supply a few of our our cobra and gi joe magazine sets available uh the US palm AK mag done with the uh, cobra python patrol logo and then the yo joe gi joe uh ar mags for last season's ak versus ar episode uh we'll do something special for this year's also but i uh, still have a few of these left if you want them uh email me talking at gmail.com and i'll let you know how you can get these I'm only selling these in the sets uh, so and you got yours didn't you marco you got yeah yours? i sure did okay very good so that does it leadheads. For this month's edition of the Talking Lead AK Corner, I uh, appreciate you guys, again, taking the time to be on. It was a pleasure, Hank. Uh, definitely got to get you back on. You're a wealth of knowledge. Uh, you know
2: I hope so. I try.
1: <laughs> so, uh, until then, leadheads, you've got your marching orders on the next giveaway. I want to start seeing those emails come in now. Better get them in. Don't wait. Um, and next month, we're giving away that 556-AK. Pioneer score. Until then, stay concealed, stay hidden, <laughs> and get Marco's book,
5: Amazon.com.
4: Marco so Borgas. Appreciate, appreciate the plug. Thanks, Lefty. All right. All right.